0: The OCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host... Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, June the 3rd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's sitting in the producer's chair. You'll be speaking with David when you give us a call on this Come On With It Friday edition of Open Line. If you're in the St. John's Metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 273-5211. Or elsewhere, it's toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 86 86- 26. Well, one step closer to the Stanley Cup Finals. Alex Nook and the Colorado Avalanche beat the Oilers last night. 4-0. 4-0. Uh, four, four, four zero out for the Avalanche. Great to see Nook back in the lineup, or remaining in the lineup. Uh, Growlers basketball. I don't know how many people will be showing up to watch a bit of the Growlers ball, but it looks like the setup, the structure of the games, and the concept of it requires a game-winning shot. I'm not even sure what that means, but I heard Ben Murphy interviewing Patrick Ewing Jr. Of course, he's the coach of the Growlers, and the is Ebl, they kick off their inaugural season Saturday night at the Fieldhouse. Tip off at 7:30, and of course, local Cole Long will be in the lo- the uh, lineup for the Growlers. I know you watch any baseball you watch baseball Dave Jays are hot got off to a hot start in the season and all of a sudden the bats went quiet and now they're hitting again beat the White Sox last night eight to three here's a baseball note It's was a day in history 1932 that Yankee teammates Lou Gehrig and Tony Lazeri combined for four home runs in one game but more, more notably they both hit for the natural cycle so a cycle is when you hit a single a double a triple and a home run the natural cycle is when you do it in order so they combined for four home runs both hit single double triple home run home run in that order those feats are less common than throwing a perfect game which has happened only 23 times in 120 years get a load of this so even for the career numbers for hitting the cycle not the natural cycle just the cycle there's five guys tied with three for a career so the natural cycle two guys in one game <laughs> Pretty cool stuff. And it happens to be the 75th anniversary of St. John's Minor Baseball this summer. Looking forward to getting out in the sandlot, I would imagine the young ball players sleeping with the gloves, getting ready to go. And yesterday was the celebration of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. I don't know how much attention is given to it. You know, there were some back and forths when uh, Prince Charles and Camilla came to town. So the Queen, at 96 years of age, she took the throne at 25, the longest reigning monarch In British history. She made a couple of brief appearances yesterday, made her way out into the balcony at Buckingham Palace to wild applause from her followers and the faithful, and the Queen at 96. You wonder what the monarchy will look like when the Queen passes, and she's been in ill health for the last number of years, and apparently struggling a little bit these days, but made an appearance yesterday, much to the thrill of the Brits who are monarchical supporters. Okay, let's keep going here. Time to hire students for the summer season, right? And many students will indeed be looking for something over the summer to fill their pockets, maybe help pay for their tuition, whatever the case may be. In Lab West, they've got themselves a predicament. So for these smaller community groups, municipal organizations, they have a hard time hiring students, why? Because the massive mining operations are able to afford paying these students $36 an hour all the way through August 26th. So for community groups and whatever uh, operations the municipalities are looking to hire summer students, you can't compete with $36. So all of a sudden, some of the full day programs have gone by the way, so it good for the students who are able to latch on with Rio Tinto, but how can a small group you know, compete with the mining giants of the world. So, funny set of circumstances in Lab West. I don't know if funny is the right word, but, yeah, the competition for the summer employee, tricky one at best. So, maybe if someone from, you know, I see this lady, uh, Maggie Gebo. She's the president of the Lab West Minor Hockey, or Minor Hockey, Minor Soccer Association. They've got to get creative, she says, in hiring. So, Miss Gebo, if you're listening this morning, you'd like to give us a shout, talk about the predicament you find yourself in and the creativity for hiring a student. We'd love to have you on the show. Okay. So let's take a few angles at this particular story, and let me preface it by saying, in no means am I being judgmental, because we're going to talk about the NLC and the revenue and the consumption issue. I have my own vices, so this is not me judging. Let's get that out of the way. So the NLC reporting record dividends to the province, $210 million, that's 15 more than the previous year. Sales are up 3.2%. Cannabis sales are up 17.2%. So, revenue is good. Consumption numbers, troubling, we'll say. We do indeed lead the league in our consumption per capita. And again, some of these record numbers of dividends to the province... We absolutely pay through the nose for any of the products offered by the NLC. Not necessarily cannabis, but certainly in the uh, world of beer, wine, and spirits. So the whopping big revenue number, I think, is driven by that, but consumption numbers are what they are, and they're up some 3.2%. We know the pandemic has brought upon a surge in consumption, whether it be alcohol and or gambling and or drugs. So while we talk about the big issues of how much money it makes, and whether or not the Rothschild Report indicates we should privatize or sell off the assets of the NLC, we possibly leave behind the social component, how it impacts people, not just with price point, but what the consumption numbers mean. And then you hear all these stories about people being picked up uh, drunk driving. In large part, you have to believe that some of the people caught behind the wheel, inebriated, may indeed have a problem with alcohol, not just a bad decision as a casual or social drinker, So I don't know how we can have that conversation without it being looking down your nose at people who do indeed drink. I'll have a few drinks. So I don't want to be judgy on this front, but when we're talking about mental health and addictions and harm reduction policies, it's important to not only focus on the amount of money that the NLC transfers to the provincial government, but also what that means for individuals, for families, for our communities, and what have you. So just put that out there for consideration. And we can talk about whether or not uh, selling off the assets or privatizing or Rothschild, whatever you like. Then you move on to the Atlantic Ladder Corporation. You know, and it's easy to celebrate when people have the big win. You know, set for life, good for you. And some of the jackpot winners, bravo. But we also lead the league in Atlantic Canada for purchasing products offered by the Atlantic Ladder Corporation. Especially the pool tickets. We're way out in front of everybody in pool tickets. Last year I believe it was in and around $94 million transferred from the ALC to the provincial government. the Landers and Labradorians, we spent in and around 400 $400 million a year on their products. So again, we'll focus on revenue because we know the province is strapped and every dollar counts and yes if the ALC weren't offering, whether it be pull-tab tickets or Lotto or Keno or whatever else they sell, people will get it elsewhere because it's readily available. And on that point, you know, as someone who consumes a lot of sports <laughs> consumes a lot of other stuff too, I suppose consumes a lot of sports, I'm really getting very quickly tired of just how much focus there is on betting on watching major league baseball and or the hockey games. It's everywhere. Now, I know the water on the beans changed when the federal government legislated the ability to bet on a single game versus what was the regime prior to. And so now I'm sure that the television networks and the teams probably are making tons of money with advertising campaigns brought forward by the fan duels or the bet books or whoever they are. But it seems to be a key focus. You know, the opportunity to offer in-game statistics has sometimes been shelved aside because now we're talking about bets. And the proposition bets, which change throughout the course of the game, so yeah, we can take on what it means for the provincial coffers, but let 's also be keenly aware of what it means for individuals so again i can 't judge i don 't do a whole lot of betting. I bought a lot of ticket yesterday, but anywho let 's go there 's no question that there 's plenty of people listening to this program this morning or even not listening to this program who are struggling to make ends meet for a variety of reasons now on the national stage the economy is superheated it really is the bounce back is real in this province you know we're always way out in front with the unemployment numbers it's not so bad maybe in the northeast avalon but for many parts of the province it's a massive struggle factor in cost of living factor in the inflation which is absolutely out of control and the bank of canada forced probably too late and it's easy enough to be frustrated with the bank of canada their target to keep inflation at two percent even though there's some global impact that is hard to weather simply because of the bank of canada policies monetary policy but all of these things are patently real and we get it so we can talk about government's role we can talk about individual's role we can talk about you know food security and doing more to produce here on the island and in labrador for reliability for supply and for price point But there's some reasons to be optimistic in this province, economically speaking. I really do believe it to be true. Now, again, when we talk about a balance between revenue and personal impact with the NLC and the ALC, certainly there's been some bright spots and bright news in the oil and gas industry. Of course there has been. And, you know, we'll hear people talk about the low carbon intensity of oil being produced and the technology being utilized by Equinor out of Beta Nord. And they say they're pushing ahead full steam or full speed. $16 $16 billion investment, a massive FPSO to be utilized, tons of jobs, they've upped their estimates to some 500 million barrels of recoverable oil, and they always undershoot those numbers. You know, even if we look at what's happening at, at Hibernia over the lifespan of that field. And is gonna start drilling again this year. And Terranova's refit's being done in Spain, and they'll be back in business. And the West White Rose extension is now moving ahead. You know, some $3.2 billion there, and the jobs associated with it in the short term and long term on the platform. Yes, we can indeed talk about attention to greenhouse gas emissions, climate change, and jobs and taxes and royalties and opportunities and optimism associated with the economic side. Again, I'm pretty glad I'm not in the business of having to strike these balances. And even when people talk about low carbon intensity of the oil being produced offshore and new technologies Equinor is going to use for heat capture to reduce the amount of natural gas flared off and to heat uh, their own systems, But low carbon intensity really generally only refers to at the production site. Because a full life cycle of carbon is all the way through end consumption, end consumer, and what the oil is used for. So yeah, let's have the conversation. And we know what's happening in the mining industry. And whether it's the big flashy announcements of Tesla and Northvolt AB and the deal that they struck with Vale, okay. But there's many other mining projects that are really creating a lot of jobs and economies of scale in different parts of the province. lots of good news on that front. Add in what is now apparently some dozen suitors in the wings talking with the province and different communities about some wind opportunities now that the 2007 ban has been lifted. So two big announcements. John Risley talked about acquiring the port of Stephenville for massive operation. Now Pattern Energy talking about working in the port of Argentia, using the availability of land, fresh water, and the abundance of wind for the creation of green hydrogen to satisfy a really growing market in Europe, geographically speaking, our proximity to Europe and that massive market puts us in good stead. Now it would be nice to have some of these companies come on. I think we reached out to Pattern, didn't we Dave? It would be nice to know exactly what it means on the ground. Because we have a historical context to refer back to when we talk about jobs and royalties and taxes, say in the oil business. What it means for wind and hydrogen and all the rest of it, I'm not so sure what that means. You know, is there a lot of jobs associated with it? Is there a lot of money associated with it? We do know historically, inside the world of wind-generated power, there's been heavy subsidies paid by governments to the companies. Now the folks at Pattern say they're not looking for handouts, they just need a streamlined process for, per, uh, for permitting and what have you. They've signed a lease to uh, acquire some 4,000 hectares of land on the old naval base. So yes, I get it, I feel the pinch just like the rest of you do when I go to the store or I fill up my rig or I fill up my oil tank. But some of the secular nature of economic impact and economic growth, there's reasons that there's some bright times ahead, I think. Maybe I'm just being cockeyed optimist because I hear so much doom and gloom. I don't want to dissuade you for bringing uh, your concerns forward to the program. Let's do it, but there are still bright spots out there, and let's talk about it. Where there are some major concerns, and I don't know how many people can shine any bright lights on things that are happening, for instance, in healthcare. I look. Apparently, the most recent survey from the Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association says that there's been a growth in the numbers of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians without a family doctor. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about 100,000. Now some 24% of the population, 125,000 people in the province, don't have a family doctor. The provinces will be quick to say that they've taken some steps to alleviate that worry and that stress and that pain. You know, whether it be the establishment of the collaborative care clinics. People are quick to say, it's not working. I've been registered on Patient Connect NL, and I'm still waiting for a spot in one of these care clinics. And they haven't got it yet. There's some 13,000 that have been registered in Eastern Health. They're going to expand the service to Central and Western. No idea whether or not it's going to be offered in Labrador, as of yet, or labrador Grenfell Health. But the province will say that there hasn't been time enough to show or to prove or disprove that the new approach is working. So we can tackle all of these things however you see fit here this morning. How are we doing on the telephone, Dave? Uh, let's get her going. Of course, it's come out with the Friday. And if I didn't bring up a topic of interest to you, then you do me a solid and bring it up on your own accord. And there's so much out there to talk about, it's even kind of difficult to know where to start. All right, we're on Twitter. We're VO Sim Open Line, Follow us there. Our email address is openline.vosim.com. All right, let's go. Time for a tune. Uh, today in history, in 1967, Jefferson Airplane were on the charts with this particular tune, but they also joined Dick Clark live on American Bandstand on ABC TV and performed not only White Rabbit, but Somebody to Love. Don't go away welcome back to the program okay let's go begin the show this morning on line number two say good morning to the president of the labrador west minor soccer association that's maggie gibo good morning maggie you're on the air
1: all right good morning patty
0: how about that i put your name out there and boom there you're
1: Oh, I'm so excited. I was very – someone messaged me through Facebook, and I'm delighted. I was a long-time listener.
0: Well, welcome to the program. So, obviously, hiring students is an annual affair for community groups and municipal organizations, but when you have to compete with Rio Tinto, you say you have to get creative. What is exactly the landscape you're dealing with now for trying to find some workers for the summer season?
1: Yeah, now I think our main competition obviously wouldn't be Rio Tinto. We can't even come near their salary offering, and they do go after, say, the university students – so we did lower our age over the last few years. Actually, we've had no choice but to lower the age that we hire, and we did. But we did increase our salary to compete with other major employers of the town. We increased actually almost five dollars an hour per student. Yeah, but we were fortunately we were able to. Our our registration numbers have been increasing significantly over the last few years, especially since COVID. Almost 200 extra players wow. since we returned to soccer. So it's great, and we we're into, We had the ability to increase the salaries.
0: I've done some work in minor sports over the years, but what kind of uh, positions are you hiring for in Lab West Minor Soccer?
1: Uh, for us, actually, it's a volunteer-based for our executives. So even myself, all the great helpers that we have, that's all ran by volunteers. But there are summer students, they're all hired by through grants and obviously registration costs help offset the payments of the summer students.
0: So other than increasing the wage by some $5 an hour, you mentioned in the news item that I read, getting creative. What Beyond Money... Uh, Constitutes creativity in hiring.
1: I think even like we're very fortunate. We have the kids that are that applied. We actually had nine kids apply, which is the highest numbers I've seen since I've been involved for over ten years. Uh, they love the game. They love soccer. They volunteered for years when they were too young to get the jobs. So obviously now that they're old enough to be able to apply, they were the ones that would step in. And even over the last few years, we we actually had a volunteer kind of basically a student training program where we had them when they're say between 12, that age and older, help out with the younger groups and then kind of shadow our summer students as well they kind of got a feel of what it would be like to eventually be eligible to apply for one of those jobs.
0: Uh, And I hope they have a great season and of course I played soccer, my boys played soccer. It also becomes a bit of a trick when you try to strike the balance between playing games because kids want to play games and then you're doing drills and skills which of course you need to be effective as you play the game. How does your executive take as an approach to it because you have to do both but the kids want to play?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. So they we kind of do it. At a younger age, it's mostly just, yeah, kind of skills and drills. The kids got to, especially at a younger, under three, the parent taught program, kids don't play outdoors the same way as we were children. So they got to kind of learn how to play, learn how to jump. And so we do a lot of soccer-based fun games. And they do have little game days, which are not direct, especially at under eight, under three, under five. They're not actually playing a game of soccer, but they're kicking the ball. They're trying to mm-hmm. score goals. And and then we do have game days. I think uh, I believe it might be Sundays or game day. So for the older divisions, they know they come in on a Sunday, they're playing a game. It's not skill-based. They have a quick little warm-up and they jump right into a full, full game.
0: Because that's the tricky part about minor sports. Regardless of the sport we're talking about, the children come in thinking that they just want to play. But you have to teach them how to play, as you rightfully point out, before you can actually have a game that's of any meaningful growth opportunity for skills and or camaraderie or team spirit or whatever the case may be. And not to detract from the real positive side of sports because it's great. You learn how to play for the name on the front of the jersey versus the name on the back of the jersey. But also just a word of... You know, what it means to bring in some of these young volunteers and young staffers as they work through the summer season, referees in particular. I know there was a massive soccer event in Nova Scotia was cancelled because they couldn't get the referees to come back after the pandemic break because they were happy to have a couple of years of not getting yelled at. So. This is just a friendly reminder to to parents and supporters alike of the the young children is that you can't live vicariously through them. You know, you can cheer for all hands on the pitch and give the refs a bit of a break because by and large they're young, they're trying their best, they're learning as they go. There's nothing on the line, there's not a World Cup berth on the line. So just a friendly reminder to parents that, you know, take these things in stride as you go up and support the kids at the pitch.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. kids are playing just to have fun. Though par- the parents have to remember that they're just playing because they love soccer.
0: Exactly right. Do you guys keep score?
1: Uh, no, most of our, p- our minor program we more play as a fun league. They do obviously the kids keep score. They know oh, yeah. every goal and <laughs> this, all that. And when we do travel it, we do travel to Newfoundland for the mega tournaments, and obviously that's a competitive tournament. Once a year, we we travel it around usually St. John's area.
0: Terrific stuff. Well, Maggie, as a volunteer member of a, a minor sports board, I know it comes with an, auto, an awful lot of effort, more than people realise. So, congratulations to you and your team, and hopefully, you have a great soccer season.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Patty.
0: You're welcome. Take care, Maggie. Hi. Bye. Bye-bye. That's Maggie Gibo. She's the president of Lab West Minor Soccer Association. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number one. Justin, you're on the air.
2: Good morning, Patty. How are you doing this morning? Great
0: today. Thanks. How about you? Better than the weather, I hope. Yes, but not, that's not hurt. <laughs> that's a low bar. Yes, sir.
2: No, just one to, uh, we had a few uh, significant updates there within the last 24 hours on this, on our flight to, save Charlie's place, the uh, it's 110 square kilometers zone here in central Newfoundland, Patty. Yeah,
0: so the issue was, be there was a, a plan by Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper, if I remember correctly, to harvest wood in that area, which is traditionally for hunting and trapping and for some other recreational uses versus this Industrial application.
2: Yes, correct. Now we've had uh, several meetings now with Cornbrook, Pilot, and Paper, I believe. Now our fifth one was scheduled to uh, come up. Now it's Friday before last. But uh, anyway, we've uh, they've cut all ties and we haven't been, uh, no, no correspondence. So our our first uh, <laughs> guess was that they went ahead and submitted their, uh, they have to do a stakeholder uh, evaluation, Patty, before this is finally approved by the minister, right? Yep. So as as we suspected now, let, yesterday we get the letter uh, saying that uh, the minister has uh, made his final approval of this project. Now I guess to be issued a, issued their cutting permit. So this uh, that was uh, a little setback there, but on a positive note now there was a meeting held by Halibut uh, First Nations now Patty on uh, Sunday gone. and uh, we've uh, they voted uh, in full support unanimously voted in full support of. Uh, Charlie's place and supporting our project uh, for submission now of an IPCA, which is an Indigenous Protected and Conserved Area. Right?
0: These are always tricky pieces of business, boy, aren't they? And you know, there's real personal connections out here, not just with the historical association with the land. But you'll correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just trying to recall this. Uh, the chief, of the Gander Bay Indian Band. His name is Calvin Francis. His Great, great, or great, great, great grandfather Charlie Francis. That's where the that's how the name is. the The land is named, right?
2: It is. It is certainly. Yeah. And now, like you say, uh, ourselves now, and uh, well, the most of the people of the members of the band now. Calvin himself. Calvin's actually a member of the uh, Gander River Management Association too. Now, Patty, and uh, okay. b- before this, uh, before <clears throat> the. These days now with the truce and reconciliation and all this stuff on the go here, uh, it's, it's uh, flabbergasting really that when you think about it, that before any of this was initiated, before Corner Brook initiated uh, and submitted their environmental assessment, before government even approved it, uh, Patty, there's that many laws and preliminaries and dialogues that, that has to be addressed. When Aboriginal peoples, when, when, when stuff like burial sites... Uh, 200 years of traditional lands, hunting, trapping, and not only that, the residents around here with the fresh water and stuff, and they're endangered and threatened species. So, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of steps that got to be taken, and none of these steps were taken on behalf of, of government or Corner Brook and Paper patty, which uh, uh, unfortunately now yeah, puts us in a, in a hard spot and well within our legal rights, you know, challenged, you know, in the courts, right? So what's next then? Boy, we are we got a few things. Uh, we're still, like you said, we're still hoping on uh, this IPCA uh, issue now. That's, uh, this is federal. That's federal uh, federal government. So uh, that would have to be reviewed by the federal government now and uh, I guess made a decision. And uh, like you say, the money is out there now released for these uh, IPCA's and protected areas. Because like you say, Patty, we're down to 6.9% on the forecasted 30% by uh, 2030. So we're... You know we're behind I, th- I think we're almost dead last in the, in the in the provinces but uh you know with the funding here allocated for this and the uh and the interest and with our history and stuff and with now with halibut support you know we're we're kind of hoping that uh something positive can come out of this in the long run and uh and you know just to mention this truth and re- reconciliation again i'm sure it's not only a canada thing I, I think it's uh europe and the united nations and stuff and, and we're not across the board here but uh you, you know, if if you're a business person and you own a pretty big company <clears throat> like Corner Book, Pot and Paper, excuse me, you know you're you're going to be pretty. Uh, you're going to watch out to what you, who your markets are and who your customers are and your investors and stuff. But like you say, at the end of the day, this this paper in, this country up here, and uh, know what is what is uh, costing the people, like the identity of a people here and the burial sites and you know uh, you know all the all the all the, all the above. And to know where this paper is coming from and to be stained with the tears or blood of aboriginal people in their burial grounds, well I tell you, it's a pretty touchy area.
0: Let's extend it one step further because, uh, you know, traditional uses, whether it be hunting and trapping, berry picking, whatever the case may be, there's also concerns with uh, the water supply. Uh, again, I wish I had the news story in front of me. So one of the mayors in the area spoke about what the impact might be on the supply of fresh water. What does that include? What can you tell us about that?
2: Uh, Patty, well, I, as you know, I, I, well, I guess I'm sure people are aware of now with all this uh, going on and stuff, but Charlie's Face exists on a plateau. Like it's, uh, it's fairly, at uh, the height now, I got it here somewhere, but it's uh, it's fairly uh, a significant plateau. So on top of this plateau now and on the east and west side, you have northwest and southwest rivers that directly feed the towns here as their spawning habitat, feeds the towns with fresh water, so Charlie's place is is with all the fresh uh, patio, there's thousands of these freshwater springs supported by the tree canopy that that's pretty much the uh, incubator and uh keeps this water fresh and cool all summer long you know a warming, uh, with the global warming now with the the low water levels and the, you know the water is pretty much boiling up there so that's that's the importance and that's where the mayors is concerned and not only that, Patty, you've got Gander, Glenwood and Ableton, you know, Gander Bay, and there's over 15,000 residents included in this fresh water. And as you know, water levels goes up, and with the with the with deforestation and lead levels, mercury levels is going to rise. You know, it's just, it is a real concern. You know, people can say, well, okay, we've done our environmental assessment, and... Is passed with flying colors, and okay, well, this one looked at it, and this department looked at it. But what needs to be looked at that's in a district and a zone. See, this Charlie's place exists within this district, so I think more concentration needs to be done on this area alone.
0: Uh, Justin, I appreciate the update uh, here this morning. Anything else quick before I have to go to the break?
2: No, I just want to mention, uh, like you say, before the this puts us in a little bit of a hard spot now, Patty. Before this, uh, you know, there was no consultation done before these, uh, you know, at all states in the uh, Canada's Constitution Act and the United Nations Declaration of Rights and Indigenous People and uh, fr- uh, freedom of uh, uh, informed consent and stuff like Like, you know, this should have been done before anything when they hit with Charlie's place. That just puts us in a hard spot. So we're going to keep hit at it by, you uh, know, do what we can to. Uh, protect what's in there and in our interests and our identities
0: right i appreciate the call this morning justin stay in touch thank you have a good weekend patty you too man bye-bye all right let's go ahead and take a break when we come back uh, john wants to talk about something happening now with the post office out in corner Brook. bob wants to talk about the oil and gas business don't go away
3: weekdays on vocm it's open line with your host patty daly join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m to noon
0: on your vocm we get people talking welcome back uh, let's go to line number three good morning john you're on the air
4: Yes, top of the morning to you. Same to you, sir. Uh, <clears throat> Patty, <clears throat> I, I moved into a, a retirement home in uh, in Cornerbrook in June okay. of last year. And since then, I've been, uh, well, uh, within the month, I've contacted everybody that I dealt with and gave them my new address. My address is 1 Hospital Hill, Cornerbrook. Now... Since then, I've been getting my mail uh, come here, but it's always late, or sometimes it's a month late, and, and, and most of the mail I get, when I get it, it's written on the envelope, not Western Memorial Hospital. So someone up at the post office looks at this mail that comes in, they see the name, that doesn't, they look at the next thing, the Hospital Hill automatically thinks it's got to go to the hospital and they send everything to the hospital and here we are at uh, Ray right across town and uh, and waiting for our mail that's a
0: strange set of circumstances so all the residents must be facing the same issue then they are uh, you know, p- people working wherever. If you're there's folks at the other end awaiting the mail and should get it in a timely fashion, just like the rest of us do. If the address is right and the sorter has a like, pays a bit of attention to what they're doing, versus just see the word hospital and flick it in the Western Memorial bin. So you must have complained to uh, Canada Post here because this is straight up a sorting issue, no more, no less.
4: Well, I I haven't complained to them yet, but the the, the crowd here is. And they tell me that they, they've been—they call up all the time, tell them about it. But it still goes to the Western Memorial Hospital, and uh, we got to wait for them then to de- decide that we're not up there. What's their Busy crowd up there, no doubt. Oh, sir. And uh, you know that by the time they get around to shipment back to the to the mail, you know, like uh, I got a phone bill from uh, Rogers a little while ago, which was a month late, and I had to pay a dollar ninety-eight service fee on it because the post office was late you know send it to me
0: yeah a late fee through no fault of your own is frustrating so okay they've got it on in the background out at the sorting center wherever your mail gets sorted just pay a little bit of attention to because the people who are waiting for the mail they deserve to get it when they're supposed to get it not after the folks at western memorial hospital rerouted to the retirement home so hopefully this call and the others living in the home who have complained will bring this to an end
4: well, uh, hopefully, hopefully, Patty. That's yeah,
0: frustrating, John. I appreciate the time. Thanks for telling us about it.
4: Yeah, and another thing, Patty, sure. I, just for a minute, I tried to get through to you a little while ago. Uh, I had to leave, so I couldn't wait for the call back. But then you, you were talking about the, um, the uh, life sentence and uh, read what they're doing with it now or something. I, I, I never got it all.
0: Okay, I think you might be referring to the fact that the Supreme Court of Canada made a ruling on the sentence for the guy who shot six people and wounded six others at the mosque? Is that Yes. Th- okay. So initially the Crown wanted 150 years before that person was eligible for parole. He was 27 years of age when he committed the crime. Then they reduced it back to 50 and 40. It's been challenged. It went all the way to determine whether or not it was constitutional and cruel or inhumane for that length of term before eligibility was up now the supreme court has says that that person is eligible for parole in 25 years doesn't mean he might ever see the light of day again but he's eligible in 25 years so says the supreme court
4: yeah this is what gets me about the courts you know they make decisions and then they they go back on them like if you're going to give a person life imprisonment life imprisonment should be what it is as far as I'm concerned, not 25 years, because if, if they committed murder, all those people's lives are—they're gone forever. Yeah,
0: there's they're no gone such forever thing. Forever and a day, you know. Yeah, technically, there's no such thing as life full imprisoned period in this country. Uh, There's going to be eligibility for parole determined by one court or another. Now, whether I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just that that's the way it is in this country. There's no such thing as lock them up, throw away the key. They'll always have a chance to apply. Doesn't mean they're getting out. Doesn't mean you're going to see Cuff on the street or Bernardo on the street or this guy ever again. But they'll be eligible to apply for parole. But when you have that level of hate and evil, then it's hard to imagine... His, his application is going to be well received by the parole board. Some people do belong behind bars for the rest of eternity. Now, of course, people hear me talk about rehabilitation and stuff all the time because some people can't be rehabilitated, some can't. This guy, probably not.
4: No, you know, it's uh, when there's parole boards, when they make their decisions, you know, i like to know. i like to be able to know why they, you know, and on whose authority are they, taking the the word for that easy reason we have, you know, redone and all this.
0: Yeah, I guess it's about the risk to reoffend, and it's about whether or not they have any remorse. It's all those things that they factor in. Now, some inmates might be uh, quite apt to be able to lie about it, to be able to put on a face, you know, to posture in front of a parole board. Some people probably not, and some will be based on their behavior while they're incarcerated. So I guess there's lots of things that will be considered. But that's what the Supreme Court said. Ultimately, uh, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I will leave that up to the individual to let me know what they think.
4: Yeah, they they they, uh, they don't consider the the people who have been damaged by these these people.
0: I think they do. Whether or not They're they not give re, it,
4: a- not very much. I don't think not very much. Yeah. They, 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 they 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 lean towards the the cupboard cupboard, you know.
0: Yeah, I I think the the families who are impacted are able to present in front of the parole board, if I understand that correctly, or maybe that's just watching too much Law and Order on TV, but I think they do get a chance to present. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So, you know, how they weigh all the different uh, issues, I really don't know, John, to be honest. And I suppose every member of every parole board is probably a bit different, too. So it's imperfect, to to say the least. Yeah. It's good to have you on the show. John, anything else, sir? No, that's good. Thanks. Appreciate the time. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, that one caused a few waves. There was another Supreme Court ruling just prior to that talking about whether or not intense intox- intoxication was a viable defense. There was one story where a guy took some pretty serious drugs in combination with some drinking and whatever else, ended up naked in someone's apartment beating him to near death and he was saying that he doesn't remember because of his level of intoxication. So the Supreme Court had to make a ruling as to whether or not you could even pretend or to offer that, pardon me, as a defense, uh, but apparently again, that's not sitting well in some corners either. Let's go ahead and take a break. Appreciate your patience, Bob, you're next, don't go away. Welcome back, let's go to line two. Bob, you're on the air.
5: Uh, <coughs> yes, Patty, uh, my <coughs> excuse oh. me. Okay. Uh, Patty, there's a story in the Bible about a man hiring, uh, the owner of a vineyard hiring, <clears throat> oh my, is gone. hiring workers at the same wage at different times in the day. And, you know, paying those fellows uh, the same wage, uh, but working different hours. Uh, okay. well, <clears throat> I don't agree with that, and uh, that's uh, religious fundamentalist thinking. And I think the same thing is applying to uh, the way things are going in Newfoundland, leaving our fish in the water while other people are cleaning our offshore, leaving our oil in the ground while other people are using it for economic advantage. That's all biblical thinking, you know, and it's not fair and not right.
0: But it's actually not what's happening, though, either. How is that? Well, is going back trailing again in the fall. is going to resume after the refit is done. Veda North are pushing full steam ahead. West White Rose, they've got the project back on track. So, I mean, that's not what's happening. That's all I can say.
5: No, and uh, that's all good news, and that's why I'm so heartened, and that's why I'm talking the way I am. But it's like they got to give uh, something to the to, to the climate change people to appease them while they're doing this,
0: or to be realistic about the fact that that's real and we have to attend to it.
5: Yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot of good things going on now uh, in the world. You know, uh, energy from wind. You know, that will be exported to Europe. Now, hearing that this morning was really heartening. You know, uh, if we could do the same thing with the oil extracted from the ocean and bring it across in boats and safely in
0: tanks. But that's what they do, though. I'm not sure of the point you're making on oil and gas. But at the same time, you know, say appeasing climate change, realists, well that's exactly what some of these wind to develop green hydrogen is exactly about that. These are transition fuels. I think the world is on a different path than it was 50 years ago, but so what is, what is, what's your point about extracting the oil and shipping it out, because that's exactly uh, what happens. All
5: that's been done just to justify using the oil. They had to do all that in order to get our oil. Uh, you know, the Sir? people accept uh, that we were, uh, uh, you know, expanding our oil, right?
0: So the wind operations are only because of what? Sorry, I'm not following that point.
5: Yeah, it's just because we're trying to do it all and have a balance, right, and get people to accept that we're uh, expanding and producing our oil. But... Uh, that's but these companies,
0: th- this is not new stuff, though, either, right? Like this Pattern Energy. The head of the Canadian division is actually in Newfoundland. His name is Frank Davis. They already have a presence in five different provinces. They generate some six gigawatts of energy already. So these are guys aren't coming to town because of some relationship with the oil business. This is what they do. They've been at it for a while. They're well-established. They have projects all over the world, including five provinces in Canada. So this is not you know, just some sort of dovetail because we're transitioning off oil. This is exactly what these guys do and nothing else.
5: But anyway, it's all wonderful to behold, uh, you know, with, oil, with uh, uh, energy being exported over to Europe to wean people off, off of uh, uh, Russian oil. That means there's going to be less oil, and there's going to be less money for uh, Putin and the oligarchs who put in their pockets and, and use to finance the war. There's a lot of things going on in the world, too. Uh, OPEC is going to release more oil, and that'll bring down the price of oil. And uh, Israel and uh Saudis have made uh, trade deals. I think and sanctions are more effective than, uh, than guns. So I think the whole world is changing now, and they're all coming to their senses. Uh, I think it's too bad that some uh, people got to die, and... Uh, all the things that are happening to the Ukrainians and the sacrifice, children and women dying and being tortured. But I think there's going to be a new order in the world. And all, we got to be treated fair here. we got to be weaned off. I noticed they turned down Alberta for an uh, application.
0: For a what application? Uh,
5: for a uh, producer of one of their... Uh, one of their applications were turned down, and that's for some. I heard tell of her teller, that happening while ours was being approved. Right?
0: Well, I don't even know if that's the case because there are actually zero applications in front of the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada. None, not one. Oh, okay. After they cleared Beta Nord off the plate, that was it. There's not one single proposal in front of them regarding oil. Which is interesting, one, isn't it? There
5: was it? one turned down at around the same time I heard on the news.
0: It could possibly be, but all I know is at this moment they're not evaluating anything because no one's a plot.
5: And what this person's talking about, there's a lot of people coming and talking to him about oil.
0: No, about wind.
5: It's only wind, is it?
0: Well, I mean, okay.
5: They're expanding all the projects they got now, and... And, uh, you know, that's the same thing uh, as doing more drilling, uh, and they're doing more drilling also.
0: Yeah, Equinor is doing some more exploration out in the Flemish Pass. BP is coming to town to do some exploring. Uh, Last year, there was only one company that did any, and that was the Chinese National Oil Company, and their well came up dry, so they're gone. Um, So, yeah, there's a bit more exploration that's actually happening, two companies in particular. Yeah
5: against those people that are anti oil. Because, you know, you got the virus, you got uh, inflation, you got the war, all those things. uh, uh, And the economy now is becoming more important than any of it in cooperating with your neighbors. And and Russia is not going to be successful. They can't let be successful.
0: Well, we'll see. It's day 100, as a matter of fact, of the Battle of Ukraine. And, you know, if you hear from, of course, there's plenty of propaganda out there, but you know, how long is the West willing to be an active participant in this stuff? And I mean active insofar as weapons and humanitarian aid and the immigration issue, of which there's 29 more Ukrainians coming to this province. or so apparently part of a flight of 300 that's going to Halifax, and they're going to make their way to St. John's International later today or tomorrow sometime. So, And you mentioned sanctions. Sanctions have long been a go-to, but ultimately, in countries like Russia or Iraq or anywhere, the sanctions just hurt the people they don't really hurt the government much because it's not like we've got duly elected governments there and they have to face the population go to the ballot boo, the ballot box because ultimately the sanctions are just crushing individuals you know dictators and unfairly elected or just the pretense of an election I'm not hurting the governments you're not hurting Putin you're not hurting these people with sanctions you're only hurting the Russian citizens so anyway I uh, appreciate the time Bob anything else you want to say before we go
5: well, yes. If they hurt the people, sure, that's uh, they'll they rise up against uh, Putin.
0: A little now, they, easier to they, say than done.
5: They can't be let win now. Uh, states are not going to let them win, and they're not going to win. <sighs> the sanctions are not going to go away. They're not going to remove them ones all over. And say that's all right now, boys. Forget all this, and Russia got to be put in a position that there'll never be a threat again, and uh, and that's going to happen and there's going to be a new order in the world and it's all due to the sacrifice of Ukraine but it's bringing everybody together it's a wonderful thing to be old anyway yeah I'm getting very philosophical
0: anyway (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the call Bob you have a nice weekend
5: okay thanks buddy all the best bye bye
0: yeah imagine it is day 100 of the the Russian invasion of Ukraine and as I've just mentioned I saw in the news that there's a 29 more refugees coming from Ukraine. As of a couple of days ago, there were 6.6 million Ukrainians had fled the country. 6.6 million. Wow. And I guess the fact that the province sent over a a help desk to Warsaw, Poland, we've seen some people, because how many would have actually considered this province as a potential new home? Now. Importantly, Canada would have absolutely been on the radar for many Ukrainians because outside of Ukraine and Russia, the highest concentration of Ukrainians as part of a population of any country, Canada, we're number three behind Ukraine and Russia so obviously there would have been some Ukrainians heading this way knowing that fact but 29 additional Ukrainians will make their way to this province on a free WestJet flight sometime after they land at Stanfield International in the city or outside the city of Halifax okay how are we doing on the telephone Dave let's get her going by. it's coming out with her Friday don't you know when we come back Chess is in the queue to talk about I guess what he heard about the Corner Brook uh, post office and when we come back after that we'll talk about whatever's on your mind don't go away Saturday morning join us for the irish newfoundland show send
3: your request to irish nl at vocm.com or submit them online at
0: vocm.com welcome back to the show let's go to line number three good morning chris hollick you're on the air how you doing patty great today uh, patty i was on the way to work this
6: morning and i was listening to uh vocm as they always do great and i was i was uh, it was awesome to hear that they now have uh, cabins for pets on board of marine atlantic it's great news But, um, you know, we have a major issue with our uh, commercial industry right now and uh, the shortage of single berths that marine lake is offering us right
7: now.
0: Yeah, just so people understand some of the numbers here. There's 96 cabins. They've set aside 35 for truckers. There's a first-come, 1st serve. if they're willing to pay an upgrade to get a single berth, right?
6: Exactly, exactly. Um, But there's only eight upgradable cabins per sailing, I can't say maximum, you know, but they're only offering eight upgradable sailings per or eight upgradable cabins per sailing. You have to realize if there's five premium bookings, which fellas pay double because, you know, some some people need their goods in a hurry. And, and there's an option that, you know, I don't know how it works. But I know how it works, but they charge us double. I mean, if I want to go down the Trans Highway, I don't get charged double to get ahead of someone else. But anyway, so they charge double. So they get five. Um, births automatically they have to pay the upgrade but those sort of five to eight are gone after after off the board already then we have three available so three so, so you understand like there's not really a, a whole lot like Daryl gets on the on, on the news and on your program and says hey' not, not a big deal there's upgrades available there is not upgrades available there, there's three you know after the five premiers are around the boat there's only three uh, three cabins
0: Yeah, that's limited, of course. They're back to full capacity, and the tourism traffic looks like it's really significantly strong booking numbers at this moment in time. I don't know what the option would be and what... More Marine Atlantic could do, but I completely understand. If I'm a trucker, there's one guy in the news story that I read. He's got COPD, and he just does not want to bunk with anybody else. The uh, the berths are about two feet apart in the double berthing cabins, so I get It's uncomfortable. Whether it be concerns with the pandemic, whether it be you simply don't want to. I don't think I'd want to. This guy Larry, I can't remember his last name. He said he'd rather get off the boat than to share a cabin with someone. So I get it, but I don't know what options would be available for anybody. I suppose the the thought is, and I I think. his name is Clayton, he called on this issue a couple of times, is that his assumption is that Marine Atlantic is quite simply choosing the tourism passengers over the commercial traffic because the commercial traffic, they don't really have an option. If you've got to drive a truck across, you can't drive it on the water, you can't drive across the Gulf, you're going to have to get on the ferry, and so that's he thinks that's why the decision has been made this way. I don't know.
6: Well, listen, we all know we need this tourism business. 100% we need tourism business. Yeah. But Okay, I, I personally myself this week left Newfoundland on, on Sunday on, on a truck, which I haven't done in 10 years. My only reason i done this was to see how this is going to happen. So, I drove in New Brunswick, I did I did some work I had to do, and I had a couple of meetings anyway, so I took a, I took a trailer, I came back to the ferry. Um, on Wednesday, Wednesday night, uh, which is June 1st, I guess, whatever. So anyway, I get on the ferry, um, I bought a premium booking. No one told me I could get Uh, an upgradable bird, which I didn't care. My reason for going across was to investigate how this was going to happen. So you get on the ferry, no one tells you if you had an upgrade or not or who you're sharing with, what you're doing. So you're at the person's office. There's about 50 people there, including tourists and truck drivers, um, bickering, arguing about how this should be, how it should not be. Um, It's probably uh, one of the most worst examples of covid you know uh, that COVID, but I guess a group of people in one area um, that could ever you know, be possible. Um, the people at the front desk don't exactly know what's going on. I mean, I spent a million bucks there a year. There's no one reached out to us to explain to us how many births there are going to be available, when they're going to be available. Um, this is how it's going to happen. We got a pamphlet and we got an email. Um, so anyway, I get on the boat. I have my wife go up and ask a bunch of questions. And they come back and say, well, every sailing, we have 20 standby passenger cabins. Besides what's booked in events, uh, we have 20 standby passenger cabins. We all know that people are going to have holidays. They book the holidays three or four months in advance, years in advance. It depends on the individual. So why would there be 20 standby passenger cabins kept? Um, maybe that needs to be a 10-passenger ca- standby. Most people that, that are planning to go use Marine Atlantic uh, in a car have made that plan way before you know, 72 hours out so why don't we say, hey listen if these pasture standby cabins ain't booked 72 hours out, why don't we make those available to the commercial, commercial guys going across, this island cannot survive without the commercial traffic, I have 5 or 6 guys now ready to quit so there's already a major shortage of truck drivers in the world, in North America. You know, it's not this is not new. Um, so I can't afford to lose these drivers. Neither can, you know, the supply chain. So like there has to be a better solution or a more, um, I guess, transparent solution to to how how this could go on. I mean, I got l- lists and. And, uh, you know, I I did a whole lot of uh, recon the other night when I made a crossing. And it's just, it's a terrible situation. And if I was a tourist and walked upon the setup that was there, like these guys don't know they're getting a berth until they've driven on the boat. Then they had to stand up for an hour and a half. I think it was at midnight the other night. Uh, finally, and we, I, I entered the boat at nine, uh, around 9, 9.30. Midnight, I think they finally had dished out the, ca- the, the you know the, the cabins to the uh, the truck drivers as well as the tourists. And so the, the ferry docked around 5.45. So, like, you know, think about it. You just last two hours as it was. These people should know when they're getting a cabin, if they're not getting a cabin or, or what the case may be. I had a guy last night got on the ferry. He had to sleep in a chair. And um, this guy, you know, has a couple of different health issues, uh, blah, blah, blah. He got off the ferry this morning. Now, he's got to drive
0: across the island today. You know, the, the safety the, the safety of this is crazy, man. I, I don't understand it. Okay, so when you show up for a standby cabin, is it like first come, first serve? You put your name on a list, and when someone doesn't take the cabin that had been booked or wasn't booked, then it's easy enough yeah. to figure That's how it works? I don't know because yeah. I haven't traveled on the ferry since 2000. <laughs> it is. It's a standby list, a paper list. Um, then you have to stand
6: up by a, a person's desk, and people are congregating there, walking around, like they don't know if they're going to get a standby cab or not. Like this day and age, I mean, if I go down to a restaurant and make a reservation, they can tell me in an hour and a half by text to come back. You know what I mean, and, and like you know, you should know what's going on in that ferry and how many people are going to go on it. You know, a little bit before then, maybe the driver should know before they get on the ferry. And if they're not going to take a berth, like Daryl made it sound so easy. Oh well, Jesus, you know, if we don't have a a um, a cabin available, well, you can get the next sailing. But if your truck is already on the ferry patty and and you got to so what are you going to do? Back off twenty. Uh, 20 tractor trailers because you just it now that they saw it. There's no birth available and
0: I'm not going to sleep in a in a chair, so I'm going to go
6: back off, so they're going to unload the ferry when that happens? No,
0: they're not, and they can't. No. Uh, so, Chris, uh, once again, it's been a long time since I traveled uh, via Marine Atlantic. Uh, why isn't there more of an appetite? And this might be a stupid question, and tell me, tell me if it is. Why is there not more drop trailer traffic? You know, we'd alleviate so much of this. You know, people would be able to stay on their own side of the Gulf, and the, the goods would get across, and be less of the rackets and concerns with berths and what have you. I just wonder why there's not more drop traffic
6: petty like unfortunately the drop traffic is so hard to determine when and if like okay the, the, the sailing don't cross for three days yeah so now there's 140 trailers over in Portobello. so you just had you had my company for example had just say i had six power units parked in Portobello for three days and um, you know there's no way that can work properly like for drop traffic the cost would be astronomical um, for to regain after so one one storm shuts me and land down for two or three days and it's a common thing it happens you know every 10 or 12 days in the winter time hmm. then we lose a day or two in the sailing so you imagine the cost now of us bob the truck back over to port of bass to pick up trailers to bring back in and then trying to catch up with that demand and the other thing is People want stuff just in time now. Everything in this day and age is just in time. So if I drop a trailer at Greenland, port of or North Sydney, it could be there two or three days before it gets on the ferry. Then we have the line-up power to get it. Um, there's so much thinking and, and so many variables there, it just becomes a little bit harder. It's great for the big box stores uh, or, like, the warehouse stuff that, hey, I got a load of catch-up. Yeah, well, we'll ship that load of catch-up. It don't matter if we get it in seven days, we get it in ten days. But for the most part now, people on this island are used to getting their goods in three to four or five days. You know, that, that's the maximum. And, uh, and and that's why there is a lot of traffic. That's why a lot of traffic is that, that Marine Atlantic, was never to be set up for drop traffic. It, it's, they, they they do do that, and because it come from you know when the train back in the train days. But I mean, those boats are not just not set up for. And the time it takes to put those drop trailers on every crossing is three or four three or four hours. If that was just live roll on only, it, <laughs> I mean, it, it would be a lot easier. But that's not what we need. You know what I mean? But uh, but there's just too too many things. Those boats. If you're going to buy them, if I if I was going to buy a truck today, I have to spec it for a job it needs to do, right? So when you go look for a vessel and you know you're moving 35 trucks across there a week, there should be accommodations and, you know, set up for that commercial aspect. That's, you know, that boat, us commercial guys keep that boat going uh, 12 months of the year. You know, the tourist traffic, and we need the tourist traffic. Yes, we're getting four months out of it now. And, like you know, I have I have vacation rentals myself that we rent out, and I want to see these guys get on the ferry and get here. But you know what? Maybe they'll get on the ferry and get a hotel in Cornerbrook and stimulate the economy in Cornerbrook that evening and and move on. I don't know what, how, how it could work out or what they need to do, but I'll tell you what, we need more berths for these guys. And the, the roads need to be safer, the guys need to be man you can't get a truck driver right now patty it's very hard to get truck drivers when i got people coming across my desk and i just spoke to three other carriers this morning to have you know oh, i got five guys are going to quit i got two guys are going to quit oh. But if these guys quit running back and forth this ferry, we're, we're going to be in a worse situation than we were during COVID uh, trying to get guys to move back and forth, you know?
0: Yeah, and then I when mean, you add yeah, to it, the one thing I've never understood about the trucking industry is far more often than not, guys sitting around waiting to get loaded or to be unloaded or sit waiting for the ferry, not getting paid. I mean, like m- most jobs, when you're on the job, you're getting paid. So that one always I've found curious, and I don't know how and why it works like that, but c'est la vie. Uh, Chris, I appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for this. Yep, thank you very much, Patty. Have a great day, man. You too. All the best. Sure. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right, Chess, appreciate your patience, sir. You're next right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, Chess, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Great what? today. Thanks. How about you?
8: Not bad, not bad. Patty, I got a question about that man phone in about the mail from Cornerbrook, yeah. right? He's definitely right. There's something wrong with the mail system in Cornerbrook to Mount Pearl. A friend of mine, her mother sent her out an envelope from Corner Book, 27th of April, guess when she got it? I don't know. Yesterday.
0: Sent it from where to go where? Sorry.
8: Corner Brook to Mount Pearl.
0: She's mailed on the 27th of April and got it yesterday.
8: Yeah, yeah. And then when I phoned the post office for the young woman, that they couldn't understand it. And then I tell you what I made her mother do. Send me an envelope from Cornerbrook to my address downtown. Get that many days took. Three days. And I have it.
0: I'm waiting no for some sense, uh, right? I'm waiting for two no pieces of mail. Well, I don't know what goes on in the sorting or things get misplaced yeah. or rerouted. I don't know. But that issue in Cornerbrook is pretty fundamental. Someone who's sorting yeah. simply sees the word hospital and throws it in the hospital pile as opposed to one hospital road uh, yeah. to the retirement home. So I don't know what's happening there.
8: But I tell you, uh, they should do. I uh, do a over uh, from Corner Brook to Mount Pearl with the mailing system because it takes over a month to come from Mount Pearl in one place, from Mount Pearl to Corner Brook, and then from Mount uh, Corner Brook to St. John's, three days. Right? Okay. That don't make sense to me. Should I come in the same place, St. John's. to part of Mount Pearl, St. John's. You know what I mean? It don't make sense.
0: Well, I mean, there's, there's something a t- uh, with the system, I think. <coughs> it's also about volume, I suppose, at the sorting centres. Uh, I suppose I'm waiting for a couple of pieces of mail from Upper Canada, and the people who sent it said they sent it three weeks ago, and I'm like, "Bye, all right," but I, I don't, I don't have it.
8: No, that's right. And my sister, round about she sent a letter to the government uh, over tra- four weeks now. You know something? That's only going first Clarendonville from Grand La Still never received it. Yeah. Right? It's something with. I think the Camden Post needs to go back to door to door mail. Because putting in your mailboxes is, is crazy. And it's putting other people's mail in your mailbox and putting somebody else's mail in the other bu- mailbox. That's what they're doing here. Right?
0: I suppose. Well, I've
8: been seeing it done, right? I've been seeing it.
0: Well, every now and then, I my I don't get home delivery. I get it to a super mailbox out on the corner. Yeah, every right? now and then, I get a piece of mail for one of my neighbors. And, I, and the same thing, they get right. every now and then a piece for me. So, yeah.
8: Yeah, yeah. There's always done especially Mount Pearl that's done too often in Mount Pearl though right it's done too often in here making a mistake on people's mail putting it on in people's mailbox right so that ch- that, inflow, that could have went to China and back in, in three times Lent time over a month you know what I mean that's ridiculous though okay you have a good day buddy. you Thank too
0: you. all the best Chess okay take care Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, Let me get the information up in front. Oh, me. Let's go. Line number two. Say good morning to uh, Sarah Bartlett. Sarah is a librarian with the Newfoundland Labrador Public Libraries. They've got a swap event coming up over the weekend. Let's hear about it on line two. Good morning, Sarah. You're on the air.
9: Hi, Patty. How are you?
0: Grand today. Thank you. How are you?
9: I'm good. Good.
0: So we see lots of different gear or d- different types of swaps, whether it be for minor hockey equipment and for tools, what have you. What kind of gear swap do you got going?
9: We are hosting a music gear swap at the Mount Pearl Public Library this weekend. Um, this is part of our partnership with Admiralty House Communications Museum. Um, they have a punk rock exhibit that they've been planning for for several months, and we've been partnering on events with them to uh, that focus on artistic creative self-expression. So over the last few months, we've offered t-shirt silk screening workshops, Um, we've hosted zine making workshops, and this weekend uh, is the opening of their exhibit, which focuses on the history of punk rock in Mount Pearl. to promote this partnership of course we are having this music gear swap this weekend so we're encouraging musicians hobbyists to bring out anything that they're willing to trade swap uh, if they're looking to get rid of some equipment or maybe find their next great uh, find Um, we're hoping that this can be a place to facilitate that so it's going to be at the Mount Pearl Public Library uh, 65 Olympic Drive in behind the Reed Center starting at one o'clock
0: so you know I understand like if my kid grew out of their hockey equipment we'll donate and some other poor young hockey player can pick it up. What about music? What, what have people donating their music, or they simply don't use it anymore, or they got a new trumpet, or what, what leads people to make these types of donations, I wonder?
9: It it could be anything, right? Like sometimes you, uh, especially hobbyists, you're collecting equipment because you think someday you're going to have the perfect opportunity to use something or you, you know, bought a piece of equipment, whether it's a guitar pedal or, uh, you know, a mandolin strap or whatever it is um, that you expected would be really useful and just turned out you didn't need it. Um, Your kids might have outgrown it. Maybe they don't use it anymore. Um, And it's just kind of an opportunity to uh, meet other people in the community, uh, make connections with other musicians and hobbyists. But really, it's just an opportunity. We're trying to facilitate um, people making connections and also kind of getting back into the community. I mean, like we've been inside for two years and um, getting people back into the branches is one of our priorities.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the key uh, things with these types of partnerships. So give us a bit of a better understanding about your relationship with Admiral Treehouse and or Punk Rock Pearl or whatever the case may be.
9: Sure. So uh, I started doing story times with Admiralty House last summer, um, and we were doing them out in the grounds at their uh, lovely space, Um, and that turned into uh, us, you know, forming a relationship, and I uh, got to know Elsa Sims, the museum manager, uh, throughout that time, and she told me about this idea she had for an exhibit, and I said, that is so exciting. Let us be in on it. Um, so over the last few months, I, like I mentioned, we've been offering these uh, screen printing workshops. Uh, we have these uh, t-shirts and tote bags that we've been uh, printing that say libraries and museums are punk. Um, and that uh, f- money from that fundraiser uh, that we've raised is going to the exhibit as well as to fund a zine collection at the Mount Pearl Library, which is currently in progress. Um, we've also offered like I said, a zine making workshop. So we had uh, the Association for the Arts in Mount Pearl come out and they uh, taught our participants what zines are and uh, how to make them and the, the value in uh, making things yourself. So like I said, we are uh, focusing on you know artistic self-expression um, which is a foundational pillar of the punk movement, of course. Yep. Um, currently we have take and make kits available at the branch um, for ages 10 and up. And that means you can go into any of our branches um, we have bags that you can just request at the desk um, and take them uh, and these, this, sorry this month we have uh, friendship bracelets so you have all the materials you need to make a friendship bracelet at home um, and you can just come and get one with your library card they're completely free um, the other thing we have on the go is every Saturday from 9:30 to 11:30, we have a Lego drop-in play session for all ages um, and you can just come and be creative with the Legos we have on hand
0: What's been going on at the libraries throughout the pandemic? Because, you know, it's affected different organizations, different institutions differently. I know there was all kinds of opportunities for contactless pickup and what have you. But for many people, the library, and I actually had a caller last week, uh, talk about the need for a downtown library here as a part of the community, not just a place to go read a periodical, not just a place to go pick up a book or a CD. It's actually part of the community and people use it like that.
9: Yeah, I think one of the greatest assets that we have to offer is space and people. Um, You know, we have 93 locations across the province. Um, One of the best things that we have to offer is face-to-face contact, um, which I think people are uh, sorely in need of. It it makes a difference to have somewhere that you can go, one, that's not your house, um, that's not your work, and someone that you can say hello to and and make a connection with in your community, right? A lot of places, um, the library in Canada is uh, an important community institution and it brings people together and that's very much the case with us as well. Um, We are well embedded within the province. Like I said, we have all of these locations. Um, All of our locations, of course, are staffed by community members and um, we're glad to be able to offer in-person programming again. Because we want to see people. We want to, you know, be a place where people can go, make those connections, get out of the house, um, and just enjoy themselves and and be involved in the community.
4: And
0: I think people want to see people. You know, I I know there's a bit of a buzz around people, you know, whether it be the summer season that's almost upon us and what have you. But... You know, it's been a very frustrating, isolated, kind of lonely time for a lot of folks. I don't know how the psyche has changed for people and they want to socialize or what have you, but fingers crossed that that's part of the very quick recovery for whenever this pandemic becomes the the endemic. Uh, You mentioned the punk rock and some of the fundamental foundations of it. Are you a punk rocker yourself, Sarah?
9: I can't say that I am, but Elsa sure is. (laughs) Oh, yeah? No doubt. Yeah, So the museum exhibit opens this evening, actually. Um, Starting at 6 p.m., they are having an all-ages show at the Annex where the the exhibit is hosted. So that is at the Admiralty House Communications Museum. They have uh, several bands playing starting tonight. Um, You should get there early if you want to make sure you can get inside the space, but there's also outdoor space as well. Um, Bands playing include Dark Era, Tunnel Vision, Mild Manners, and Needlecrafts. There's going to be snacks supplied supplied, sorry, by Toddlow. Um, and this gear swap that we're hosting tomorrow is in conjunction with this museum uh, exhibit opening we're really excited to be a part of it and we hope to see people come out
0: love it thanks for telling us all about it and I'd love to see you build with like Potmaster, the Slime Dog Meat Barbecue some of the punk rock bands of my era my vintage mm-hmm. uh, anyway Sarah thanks for t- uh, telling us all about this today appreciate your time
9: yes you too Patty take Thank care bye bye
0: bye bye yeah Dave Interested in any of those punk bands I mean a bit of the Slime Pfft deadly right let's go and take a break don't go away every saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin the cabin party with brian o'connell saturday night starting at 7 p.m on vocm welcome back let's go uh line number three martin you're on the air good morning mr daly how are you today sir couldn't be better how are you doing
10: i'm doing well sir. thanks in advance for your chance to have a few moments on open line i'm a long-haul truck driver sir and uh, i'd like to get back into the topic with marine atlantic if that's okay go right ahead okay sir i crossed on the uh the vision today yesterday and uh, left at 12 o'clock and uh one of the concerns i have um even all the employees that are on that boat they're still going around in full masks so the employees themselves are conscious and, and very aware that, you know, there are still some issues out there with COVID. I mean, then there's this monkey thing that's looking on the, on the forefront. But yet on June 1st, they announced Marine Atlantic would be going back to double berthing all the commercial truck drivers. Now, I've listened in this morning and listened to some of what people had to say. But however, that being said, we're on the road. 24, you know, uh, hours, well, we're 14 hours a day, 13 hours a day, and we're working, you know, two weeks at a time. We're doing what we can to try to keep this going. I myself personally, for the last 18 months, I've not missed a day. I've been back and forth on this boat. There's been no no major issues. However, it seems odd and ironic to me that on June 1st, at the moment when they announced that they would double berth uh, commercial truck drivers, that if you yourself were to call and say you and your... Significant other wanted to go on a vacation, you can't book a berth on that boat anymore, on any of the boats, because they're already booked up. So that leads me to believe that the bookings for these berths have been going long before the announcements and the situation is this the rooms are about six foot by ten foot which include a washroom a sink and a toilet and a shower the shower is about 18 inches by 18 inches so with just a shower curtain there's no cleaner in between the guy you're staying with and when you take a shower so I mean here you are exposed to a complete stranger you have no idea where he's been, what he's in contact with, what his vaccination status is or is not. You don't know if he's COVID positive, if he's been tested for COVID. They don't ask. They did for a little while screen, but that's all been stopped. So when you get on the boat, here you are with the apprehension of knowing you're about to step into the boat and probably be put in a room with a complete stranger. They may, they may have weapons. They may, they, may, they may have mental issues. You don't have any idea. But these are your only options. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is not the Marine Atlantic mainland fixed link towards the uh, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia? Isn't that part of uh, our agreement and confederation that the government would maintain that link? I know Marine Atlantic is government subsidized.
0: Well, it is, but what? Um, just a, a sincere question. What does that uh, have to do with the birthing issue?
10: what it has to do with is without these supplies and services that us truckers are bringing across like me myself if this is not rectified this has been my last run you know I'm like many other people they're they're just afraid my wife and I and I don't mean to speak without her permission but she has some serious health concerns have being a prior cancer survivor which pretty much decimated her immune system if I bring this home to my wife she could potentially die is that more important than the few dollars that they're going to get from these tourists? Of course it is. What takes precedence?
0: Well, I mean, obviously your wife's and your health would take precedence as far as I'm concerned. But of course, for Marine Atlantic, if they do it on a case-by-case basis, I guess that's one thing. But when we're, we already have concerns with time and even if it's just talking about the, the 20 standby cabins that are available, I just don't really know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when you talk about weapons and what have you, is there any security measures in place for passengers traveling on Marine Atlantic? Like, you know, sure. I mean, to know whether or not there's weapons being brought on board? I mean, there's got to be some type of screening at something, isn't there? Yeah, I don't know. Again, it's been 22 no. years since I was there's on the ferry.
10: There's absolutely nothing.
0: Does you're your. Bewilder, and
10: if, it, if you don't get the upgrade, you're assigned to whoever from wherever, not knowing anything about that person, and expected to sleep within 24 inches of that person while you're getting rest and as a commercial driver i'm responsible to make sure that i'm rested my safety and your safety is on the line i'm falling down the road with 50 tons of steel a lot of times and that 50 tons mean that i need to be on top of my game well rested and alert that doesn't mean that like i can the prior gentleman would sit up in a chair and try to sleep all night that's not rest the government mandates that we have 13 hours of driving time 14 hours in which to do within and a 16-hour shift available to us so what that means is a lot of drivers who are afraid like myself and i have no problem admitting i'm afraid of what's going to happen to me and my family should this continue i have no other choice now but to get off of that boat and pull over on the side of the road for eight hours or 10 hours and get some sleep you know this is it's unacceptable
0: how does the. Can you
10: imagine? I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just going to ask you how some of these issues impact your logbook? Because we know truckers can only operate so many hours consecutively and breaks between and all those things. Is that factored in with how you fill out your logbook, whether or not you had a birth and had any sleep or something like that? Or is that something too arbitrary for the logbook?
10: It, it does. It does weigh. I'm a former driver trainer and uh, driver examiner for the province of Alberta, and it does indeed uh, affect it. Because basically, you have two options. You four, actually. You have you have on duty, which is working without driving. You have driving time, which is working while driving. You have sleeper berth, which is basically in my truck where I travel alone, other than my dog. When my time has elapsed, I lie down in bed. I can have eight to ten hours, one interrupted sleep, and there's not a problem. That becomes an issue if I have to stay up all night long and sit on that boat.
0: Of course it does. Uh, And then just last one, I guess, and this regarding uh, the health of the person you might be double birthing with. Does your company require you to do any sort of frequent or infrequent testing?
10: Um, the company we, I work for and the company we subcontract for, it had to be that we had to be, I myself are triple vaccinated, I have no problem telling you, but a lot of the customers and places that we had to go, it was mandated that we were vaccinated or we weren't employed, right? Now, but that, uh, again, when you're on Marine Atlantic, as an example, when I pulled on the boat last night, I pulled on behind a, a, a company with Georgia plates. Now, watch the situation there marine atlantic for the whole duration that we've been traveling back and forth there's been vehicles on there even when the borders to the united states were closed there were vehicles on there with american plates so to me marine atlantic has as sorely dropped the ball when it comes to the pandemic and if you recall when the pandemic some of our larger outbreaks were directly involved with that boat like those boats um two of the larger outbreaks that happened about 16 to 18 months ago were a direct relation to that boat. Really? That boat had people absolutely if you actually look into it sir there was at one point there was a potential that I think there was one boat that had just on the employees alone that had 15 to 20 positive cases. They would when you pull into the to the kiosk they would ask you uh, several questions similar to filling out an unemployment form Uh, have you been in contact with anybody well you know you don't even know that for seven days some people are not symptomatic for up to seven days how do you know so when you get on a boat can you imagine uh, mr. Daly let me put you in my position for one moment you got on a boat yesterday afternoon as soon as you got on the boat you walked upstairs You're a little nervous you don't know you're standing at the counter you have an option and my company my employer he's pretty good he has no problem with covering the expense but again that's another expense that's going to be passed on to you when you go to the store and your can of Vienna sausages is now four dollars these are the reasons why those costs have to be passed on to the consumer and that's understandable we can't the fuel rates and all that stuff that's irrelevant to what our discussion but all those external costs get passed on to you the consumer so when you get onto that boat, as in my position yesterday, you get on there, you don't know where that guy's been. You have never seen him before. You don't know him. You don't know what his vaccination status is. You don't know if he's healthy. You know, there, there was one time a person would cough to cover a fart. Now you fart to cover a cough. It's, it's just ridiculous. Like these people have very – and it's not the actual employees themselves. I, I sympathize with them. They're probably treated worse than we are. But it's the management level – of non compliance and non caring about what's going on. Yesterday, I was on the phone with the Prime Minister's office, uh, Omar Aghabra, the um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't pronounce that probably right, the, the Federal Minister of, of Transport. I was on the phone yesterday also with um, uh, Marine Safety based out of Sydney, Nova Scotia. Uh, even though they agree with every point and position that I have, there's nothing they can do. Now, we get on this boat and we're not allowed to stay in our trucks. When I stay in my truck, I travel alone, just me and my dog. But because of a marine safety issue, I'm required to, to, to disembark from my truck and go up there and go to that, that counter at the kiosk there on the boat, and I have to register in. At which point, if I know somebody, yeah, I can say, okay, I'm okay to, con- to content to share with this guy. But I don't always know who that person's going to be. I don't always I'm, – I'm not going to know. There are going to be times where I'm going to be with people from different nationalities, from different places, and, and, and it's, the, it's the fear of the unknown is what's getting all of us here. Like, we don't understand what our next move is. We don't understand what we're doing. Like, right now, I had to tell my boss this morning that my plan is not to continue working until I find something that is, is suitable, but it's not going to affect my family, and put my wife in jeopardy or in hospital or, or in a box. That's that's unacceptable.
0: I suppose if they change what's happening here, there's still only going to be 96 cabins, so we're going to have disgruntled truckers or disgruntled passengers who are not part of the commercial traffic. I suppose that's where they find themselves, and I have no skin in this game, and I understand all the concerns that you've brought forward and Chris brought forward and Clayton has talked about here on this program, and I appreciate the time. Hopefully there can be some sort of compromise or solution that makes it easier, safer, more comfortable for the folks driving the trucks because, of course, we have lean, down the trucking industry quite heavily, not only during the pandemic, but constantly. Here in this province, our reliance on importing 90% of what we consume obviously is due to you fellows and women bringing it across. Thanks for this, Martin.
10: One second. May I add one more small point? Quick. Uh, Chris, Chris had mentioned earlier about these um, the premiums. Now, I've got no issues with the premiums being for, uh, for food or stuff like that, perishables, which is what it initially was intended for. Now that Amazon has taken off, we have a company going back and forth across all the time. Their name is Spartan Transport. All they're hauling is Amazon packages. Because of the value, they can afford to pay double the rate. They should not be allowed to pay double the rate and get on that boat as well. Like They're coming from all over. It shouldn't be allowed. It should only be for food or perishable items. It should not be for, you know, because you want your new Sony Walkman or, 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 or whatever. <laughs> your Walkman. <laughs> got to some, yeah, I know, that's the, going back <laughs> and, you know. I dated myself there. But tough. I mean, realistically, that's what the whole idea of it is. It's for perishable items so that your lettuce doesn't go bad on the pier. Not because you know, your, your, your new TV that you ordered off Amazon wants to be here in three days. That's the issue with Marine Atlantic. If you've got enough money, you can do what you want because that's what it's all about. It's about the money. June 1st came all of a sudden, the tourism season opens. See you later, truckers. There's no more waving the flags and pumping the arms for us to blow the ear horns anymore. We're right back. You can't even put two dogs in the kennel and put them on a WestJet flight together. They have to have their own separate kennel. But truckers, stack them up. Let them see what happens. Unfair, unfit, unconstitutional.
0: I appreciate the time. Thank you for your time, sir. My pleasure. Take care. I know. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go. Line number 10. Signal to the Liberal member for Cornerbrook. He's the Minister of Immigration, Population Growth, and Skills. Jerry Byrne, Minister Byrne, you're on the air.
11: Good morning, Patty. Thanks so much for having
0: me on. My pleasure. Very quickly, uh, reading the news story, of course, we know that we had, I think it was 168 Ukrainian refugees made their way here on a charter flight uh, just a couple, three weeks back, now 29 more coming. And it makes reference to a free WestJet flight. Is this WestJet offering the flight free of, free of charge?
11: Yeah, this oh, is. WestJet yeah. has been very, very generous uh, within, um, with the flights within Canada. Uh, to be able to put uh, Ukrainian refugees to where their province and city of choice. WestJet has been offering the service. We reached out to WestJet and they've been very, very kind, great cor- corporate partners. So I'm really pleased about that. Big shout out to WestJet.
0: Yeah, when it's WestJet, good news. I don't mind admitting my sister's part of it. When it's not, i to keep it to myself. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep going. So 6.6 million Ukrainians have fled the country. That was as of, uh, I think, like May the 24th. And we've seen uh, all, around 200 organized to come to this province Now, there's been others that have arrived beyond those two loads of uh, passengers but with the Ukrainian family support desk what do we think has been their role in rerouting I don't even know if that's the right word Ukrainians to this province because you know we talked in the past about vetting them and talking about skills and you know having a job waiting on the other end or the opportunities for one so what role is the help desk actually playing in your estimation
11: it's been invaluable and i'll use the federal canada's charter which landed in halifax yesterday and i'll differentiate it from the charter the provincial newfoundland and labrador charter that landed in st john's on may 9th yesterday a charter hit the ground in halifax filled with 300 uh, 306 i believe was the number Uh, Ukrainians that wanted to come to Canada the way Canada organized the government of Canada organized that was very differently than the way we organized ours Canada organized it in such a way that on May 26 just so basically just less than a week ago they opened up a draw Uh, there was a web portal that you could if you were Ukrainian with a visa a Canadian visa allowing you entry into Canada you could go on the website and you could basically try to put your name in as quickly as you possibly could to get on this flight. It was the equivalent, Patty, and I'll use this with my tongue on my cheek, but it was, as if, if Justin Bieber announced a concert venue on mile one, and ticket sales went on sale at 12 noon today, there'd be a mass flush to get on that, on that Ticketmaster site, and every ticket would be sold in 45 seconds. Well, I'm not trying to be sort of, you know, funny here, but that's kind of what happened on May 26th. You had people who, Ukrainians, really anxious to get to Canada. They didn't really have necessarily a direction or a place that they wanted to go. They didn't know, know much about it, but they knew this was the last Canadian government charter that was going to be offered, and they, they, so that, that plane filled up very, very quickly. We knew from our previous experience... There were people who would be able to, by luck of the draw, be able to get on that plane who may not necessarily know where they want to go once they arrive and who may actually be going to a different place, who may transit on to Winnipeg or somewhere else where they may have family. We knew there would be seats left unfilled when that plane took off yesterday morning. So what did we do? We had boots on the We had people in Warsaw with with families uh, that we tried to get on that plane. Beyond the luck of the draw, we put 29 people on that plane because we were organized in Warsaw. We had relationships developed with Ukrainians, and those 29 people who we were able, despite the fact that the plane filled up very very quickly, there were still. Uh, people who did not sh- were were not able to show up to that plane. We squeezed our Ukrainians onto that plane at the very last minute, and that's why there's a bit of a <laughs> there's a a, a a backdraft occurring. The plane's landing in Halifax. Twenty nine of them are coming back to St. John's, and that's 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 the difference. It's the Ukrainian family support desk was absolutely essential in developing relationships with Ukrainians getting them to become aware to choose Newfoundland and Labrador and to develop uh, job opportunities housing opportunities and life opportunities before they ever got here and that's why I I will argue and I will state with pride we will have the most successful Ukrainian resettlement of any any place in the country, thanks to the team that we had on the ground here. I know you our can't. Should be
0: proud. I know you can't flip a switch and all of a sudden everyone who wants an opportunity, a job or otherwise, upon arrival just gets one. But what have we seen so far with the Ukrainians who've come? I know that there was one Ukrainian woman, a doctor, left her doctor husband behind. I wonder what she's up to. And you know how quick we, quickly we can transfer our credi- credentials. Then there was five master students, and we know what they are doing. And I've seen some applications being thrown around by Ukrainians who've arrived that have a lot of experience in different sectors. And and looking for a job right away after they leave their 14-day quarantine, what do we know? Can you give us any real-life examples or stories about how they've settled in, and, you know, created opportunities for themselves, or have a job, or whatever the case may be?
11: I'm delighted to, because this is really the nub of it. This is why I wanted to call in the express, like, what has been successful. What do we know? Uh, when people say, "Geez, how, we'd love to have some Ukrainians in our community. What what do we need to do? What what is it that when is that going to happen?" Well, here's what we now know from experience, and we anticipated this, and we were able to act on it quickly. Of the Ukrainians that arrived on May 9th, well over half of those who are able and willing and anxious to work are now full-time employed in three weeks. Three weeks from going from a war-torn country. To a place of refuge, you know, in an outside country, three weeks upon a landing in, in St. John's in Newfoundland and Labrador, we now have those that are uh, half of those able and fitted up with full-time work. So here's what works, Patty. And this is, I say this to all those that are kind of wondering, like, geez, we've heard of success stories in Deer Lake, in Stephenville, in Mount Pearl, in Bonavista. What is it that makes it a success? Well, Here's what it is. A job is paramount, but also the employer led by the employer, supported by the community, has to be able to describe in some reasonable means where that person and that family will live. Not necessarily, you know, for the entire year. The employer does not necessarily have to subsidize or pay for the housing for an extended period of time. But walk in the Ukrainians' shoes, the refugees' shoes. You're going to a place called Bonavista. You haven't got a clue what that is. Someone needs to bring you up to speed. At how incredible a place Bonavista is. So that's what Sunrise Cabinetry did. They came down to St. John's. They said, guys, we, here's a job opportunity. Here's what I'm prepared to pay. Here is a housing, uh, here's where you can be housed in the short term while you look for your own house that's of you know, your preference, but I'll take care of your housing in the short term. This is how the community will rally to you. This is where you can get childcare. This is where your kids can go to school. This is what we're going to do when we when you get here. You know what? Sunrise Cabinetry came down to St. John's. They didn't get one Ukrainian Dakota Bonavista. They got three, and that is the magic formula walk in the Ukrainians' shoes, understand what they are feeling, the insecurities that they have, the confusion, the doubts, the uncertainties, and help them become more comfortable. That's why Ukrainians are in Stephenville. When we had a group of of Ukrainians go to Deer Lake, three Ukrainians got on a a plane, on a bus, went to Deer Lake because the owner of the Holiday Inn Express in Deer Lake said to them, here is the job offer. Here is where we can help house you while you're here. Here's what the community will do to rally, to welcome you. And you know what? Three Ukrainians are now full-time residents in in, in Deer Lake. And most important to all of this, because the Canadian government requires full-time, year-round employment in order to get citizenship. You cannot apply for permanent residency in Canada unless you have a full-time job that you're working in. Getting access to a full-time job is really really important to the Ukrainians because they want to make Newfoundland and Labrador many of them want to make Newfoundland and Labrador <clears throat> their permanent home so those are the magic beans to the beanstalk if you can offer employment offer solutions as to where they're going to live tell people what you know is available in terms of daycare and community support and being able to do do that in a welcoming environment, Ukrainians, and not just one, not just two, but multiple families of Ukrainians will be coming to your community in the days and months and years ahead.
0: Uh, Very quickly before I have to get off to the news, uh, in a past portfolio, and certainly when you were a uh, member of parliament, Marine Atlantic was one of your faves, and you talked about it a lot. And it's back in the news now. There's some encouraging news with the number of bookings, and we're looking for a big rebound in the hospitality tourism sector, but the truckers are up in arms. Any comment on what you've heard from the truckers, because I know you probably heard the last trucker I spoke with, they're being forced to double bunk more often than not, and they're quite frustrated with it, whether it be their own safety, whether or not they want to do it, whether it be the virus, a variety of things. Any comments on what you hear from the truckers?
11: It is my belief, yes, I've heard a lot from truckers because I've got great relationships with them. They, I think there's a, a trust there that I'm, I'm on their side and I am definitely on their side on this particular issue. This is where Transport Canada, the Canadian government, has to step in. Patty, I will send you a copy of a report that I had prepared. I, I commissioned from a transportation expert some years ago that argues and argues very effectively that not only are costs regulated at marine atlantic but levels of service should be regulated as well and are regulated under the canadian transportation act it's built into the constitutional the terms of union the term 32 and a particular term 32 which states that the ferry will be operated as if it were a, a, a railway and as we know railways are regulated and railway rates are regulated under the Canadian Transportation Act. I would argue, and this is what is argued by this expert, is that not only cost, the actual price of the ferry is regulated for uh, uh, under the Constitution, but the levels of service... To commercial truckers is also regulated, and I'll send you that report because yep. I think there's a very valid case to be made that the federal government has an obligation to meet the needs of the truckers. In this particular case, they should be. If you were to, if you were to take it in a, in a, a, as an analogy, they are the super, super elite of marine atlantic they don't spend like when you you go so often on air canada you become super elite truckers spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year Mm. on multiple multiple trips not only should they be treated well because they're great customers but i believe they have a legislative and a constitutional right for better service
0: and when we deal with that issue let's deal with the 65 percent cost recovery model that's really not helping i appreciate your time this morning minister off to the news my brother thank you take care bye-bye it's jerry Burns, minister of immigration population growth and skills news time don't go away. you're busy but you'll never be uninformed get up to date on the way home the drive on your vocm and welcome back let's go line one barry around the air good morning patty thank you for taking my call no no problem
12: uh, patty talking about the uh, update about the fishery or river guardian patty uh you, Your is my recall about the issue we're trying to get them uh, hired on for a longer period of time and get more hired on, but realistically, we just this year now get them hired on for a longer period of time. Uh, we've been in consultation with uh, in Te- Liberal Federal MP Ken McDonald and just got an email from him recently saying that uh, he's done as much as he can and doesn't seem to be much more that he can do at the union and the Sea Watcher in uh, consultation and talks. Uh, I've learned that the contract is only uh, agreed upon verbally, I believe, not sign, officially signed yet. And uh, it seems that the River Guardians are receiving a bit of a backlash as well. They got a, uh, a bit of an increase in the uh, amount that they get back from the kilometers, but then uh, a while later, they got their number of kilometers reduced. Now, Patty, if they're, out on a, if they're out patrolling and they get a call to go to another river, if they're towards the end of that clamorage for that week, they can't go. Doesn't, uh, that, that defeats the purpose. I, I don't get over it. I'm, I'm very disappointed. And, you know, we're at this for the right reason for the conservation of the salmon.
0: Okay, so are, am I hearing that people feel like it's retaliation?
12: well i i can't say that patty i i just say what i what okay. what, I, what i've heard i, I don't know what their feelings are about it, but you know I, I guess one could say that yes
0: okay fair enough so that's the update unfortunate update on the river guardians which is a pretty important thing there's fewer of them working a, a not enough months to actually do what they need to be doing and they want to be doing so anyway hopefully something changes on that front i know you wanted to talk about the story regarding the cormorants as well
12: Yes, uh, the provincial government uh, made an announcement this uh, past week I, I guess about the uh, cormorants and they're going to have a uh, they're going to issue special permits. It's not a it's not going to be uh, set up as a hunt as, as such, more of I guess like a uh, control measure or nuisance permit, I guess. And uh, we are uh, we you and I Patty have had conversations in the past in the past years about the cormorants and, you know, talking about there should be some kind of research or study set up to see what the impacts of them are. We know that they are the, the most efficient fisher birds in the world. And they are, you know, they have to be taking some kind of toll on the fish resources. just uh, wrote a, a letter of their last week to CBC uh, about it, and uh, all of a sudden now they government has announced this measure. We thought it was going to be a federal issue, but uh, its provincial issue. even better. But uh, we are very surprised. And I, I, my own personal opinion, Patty, I'm suspiciously surprised. Why? I'm glad you asked that, Patty, uh, because it seems that it, it's, uh, it, it came out of nowhere. And in the press, government press release, and the OCM and C B C media releases about it, uh, the aquaculture industry was uh, was uh, reported in it. And I, you know, uh, I, I see this as a good move to, you know, to to kind of, kind of control the predator uh, 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 situation on the uh, on the fish population But the aquaculture industry has been mentioned, and uh, it seems that it's been set up more for the uh, aquaculture industry than anything else, and it's because it's having it so far Yes never has anything been instituted so quickly before. I mean, look at the hunting age. That was over 25 years, Sharon harvest 12 years and other things that have been going on. And I'm not pointing any fingers, but I just
0: voice my own opinion and say that it's, it is especially uh, surprising. You could be right uh, because it came out of nowhere. For me, we have indeed talked about the numbers of cormorants, the population of these birds, and they are really highly efficient fishers. That's no, There's no question there. They actually have a disturbing impact on other uh, sea-nesting birds as well certainly there's an ecological impact P- someone sent me a picture of the cormorant population of, i think some part of ontario and what they're doing to the trees in the area so look i don't know if it's called for call's sake i don't know if it's influenced by the aquaculture industry but i do know that there's a massive population having a negative impact on a variety of areas but the motivation that's a fair point to make barry i didn't even think about it but you could be right
12: uh yeah, hey, i i, I not too blown horn, but I think I am right, and others, and <laughs> others uh, that been talk to have uh, feel the same way about it. And make no mistake about it, now, Patty This is a good move. This is a good move to to to, to uh, be able to start to control the uh, the cormorants. And I believe part of the problem with the cormorants and other species too, Patty, is that they've lost their their fear of humans. Years ago, you'd never see anything like this in around in around the city or in around K D V oh My God, if a seal came in Kedavik, got he would never checked out. He checked out, but he never went back out, that's for sure. And now you see seals, and now the cormorants in and around. So I believe part of it is that they've lost their, uh, their fear of humans.
0: The, you, you could be right again. They are quite the animal to behold, that much I know. and uh, They're pretty ominous looking. Now, being ominous looking doesn't mean that you are an ominous creature, but they are good at what they do, especially when it comes to fishing in the rivers and or in the aquaculture nets that you've already pointed out. Uh, anything else you want to add this morning, Barry, before I go?
12: Uh, Patty, uh, no, uh, just that the, you know, go back to the River Guardians again, Patty, for just a, a minute. You know, this is this is something that's very valuable to us, Newfoundland and uh, to the culture of us, to our traditions, our family, and also to the economy, Patty. Think of all the money that's coming in through the, uh... To the uh, recreational salmon fishery and that, uh, and you know, and all that money then that DFO gave uh, BC there last year, I believe it was 350 million or more. And all we can't get a, a straight answer from DFO Minister Murray. Uh, it, all I hear is, and forgive the term, for back letter letter term, better term, is incompetence. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She can't give it an answer. And all she does give is, is just one blank statement. How all the fisheries in can, all of Canada are important. Well, we're talking about Newfoundland and Labrador, excuse me, and we have a real serious problem going on here. Uh, I will say that we are waiting to hear back from Goody Hutchins and what she has to say about this. But. Uh you know compared to what's going on we're, we're you know it's pretty dismal patty and and what, is, what is it was it got to take for so to get
0: some kind of conservation action here in newfoundland labrador she's off to an extremely rocky start as the federal fisheries minister that much is for sure and so even with some of her comments in the media then there was a meeting between her and our provincial minister and the premier they all came out thinking that maybe they were back on the similar or same page but i'm not so sure and i, I was away the day she came on this program yes, which i i, I, know. I really <laughs> wish i had to be here for that one, but Oh, no, anyway, me too, buddy. I, I appreciate the time, Barry. Off I go. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. And as always,
12: Patty, it's been a pleasure. It's
0: been mine. Take care. Okay, bye bye. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Lori's in the queue to talk about healthcare. Don't go away. And welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Lori. You're on the air.
7: Good morning, Patty. How are
0: you? Great today. Thank you. How about you?
7: I'm okay. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to bring awareness to our broken healthcare system. Um eight days ago, my mom was taken from us uh, here at the Lab of Grimful Health in, in Happy Valley Goose Bay. Um, she had open heart surgery on uh, March the 1st, and 18 days after being discharged, she ended up with heart palpitations and ended up at the eMERGE here. And they they assumed her prescription was incorrect, so they readjusted her prescription and sent her home. Um May the eighth on Mother's Day, she ended up being transported from her home to the health care service here in Goose Bay via ambulance and was admitted and The reason behind that they said she would receive a bed faster in St John's at the healthcare science center um quicker if she was admitted. My mom spent seventeen days admitted here in Goose Bay waiting for a bed um which it didn't happen and you know it's it's there's too many stories there's way too many stories that we hear about our broken health care system and how many lives have to be taken for us to um get help
0: first off i'm really sorry for your loss and our condolences from everyone here on the show so like every situation will obviously be different, and the patient need and the triage will be different. So, from where you sit as the family member and what you were told, whether it be by healthcare workers or the department, what could and should have been done? Because so, I, sometimes I really don't know.
7: Uh, and, and we're in the same situation. We're a little bit, um, I guess, in shock and, and in wonder of what could be. Um, every day my mom prayed that maybe today's the day I'll get a bed maybe today's the day you know as someone who had open heart surgery replacing a valve 18 days after this major surgery goes back to emerge and um, isn't sent back directly out to a a facility that can help her just boggles my mind we just don't understand how the system works and how, how her life didn't matter to somebody that just had this major surgery and we're just at a loss for words because it's not just my story. There's so many stories like this.
0: Boy, oh boy. I mean, these are the things, you know, a couple of just uh, off the top of my head. Even if someone was able to you know, like a patient navigator, able to paint you a very clear picture of exactly what to anticipate, even prior to the surgery, so that you knew what was going on, not just about how the surgery would work and what recovery time might look like and what to expect how your mom will react to a procedure, But the aftermath, the recovery, where it can be done, what timelines you might be willing to, or pardon me, uh, looking to uh, anticipate. But without all of that, and then you add in the emotion and the sadness and the worry, next thing you know, you're caught up in the spiral, not even knowing where to turn or what to expect.
7: Exactly. And, and not for one split second, even to the last moments of, of her life, we did not for one second think that we would be right here right now, you know, burying our mother and, and going through this process. And I, I have to be honest, there's two families I know of right now that are sitting in the Labrador Grimple Health waiting for uh, transportation to St. John's and, and you know, life their life matters, and and that's w- that's what I'm fighting for, and and I need my voice heard, and I need all of us to stick together and try to get solutions for this broken broken system.
0: What was your mom's name?
7: Barbara White. She went by Merle. Everybody knew her as Merle White. What was what's that about? I'm sorry.
0: How did what? Where does Merle come from?
7: So um, her middle name is Merle. She's been Merle forever, um, uh, but, you know, obviously by law, she's Barbara Merle White. So she was buried as Barbara Merle White, but um, she went by Merle. And she was the most beautiful human being that anybody has ever encountered. She Mm -hmm. deserves to be uh, acknowledged, and, and I will fight, I will use my voice to help not only my mom, but people that are crying absolutely crying for help here to get help for their family members you know it's not nobody should go through what we are are dealing with my mom could still be here she could still be here if they actually followed through you know 17 days lit in a bed Um, she moved around in the hospital six different beds uh, waiting for today's the day, today's the day. And, and the day before she passed away, she was given those beautiful words, we have a bed. So the day, um, you know, I went to the hospital and sat with her and we waited for the, um, the word that, okay, the plane is coming to get you. And we sat there and she had pain after pain after pain and it got gradually harder and harder. And the pain, the, the plane never arrived. And we had five different excuses that night. You know, we had a bed to the bed is no longer there because we're going to put you in cardiac units. We're waiting for a bed there. The flight is on another critical. The um, the flight crew was not available. You know she she was crying to go for help. and I, I feel if she was taken seriously eighteen days prior to her death, she would have been a survivor and and she would still be here
0: also sad how many siblings do you have Lori
7: just myself and my brother Dwayne and her husband Norman and uh, we have a huge family
0: I, I mean I don't I know you're saying it's not just about your mother it's about other families that will be going through it now or maybe will go through it in the future uh, right. you want to tell us a, a happy memory something about your mom that you'd like people to know
7: She was the most gentle, kind, caring human. And I know we hear this every time you hear of a death, that this person was the most beautiful, the most whatever. My mom was the most genuine, kind-hearted person that you will ever encounter. She was the rock to our family. She was the oldest of her siblings. um, And she had the best life. She was the most gentle soul. She was an angel on earth. And, And eight days ago, you know, she was taken from us and I'm sitting here and and, and I know I can feel her helping me fight for not only her memory, but for future families, because she deserves that. Everybody deserves um, services that are available to them, whether it's in their hometown or if they have to travel elsewhere. And my mom was that person. She, would, she was the most gentle soul and the kindest, the most humble, uh, beautiful soul.
0: I appreciate you telling us about your mom. And again, our deepest condolences, Laurie.
7: Thank you so much for your time, and and I appreciate it. Take good care. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go ahead and take a break for the news. Uh, When we come back, still plenty of time to speak with you about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay, whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Mark O'Brien, he's an award-winning actor. He's a winker, a nodder, heartthrob, heart and now you can add director to ECV. Mark joins us live on line number four. Good morning, Mark. You're on the air.
13: A winker? how are you
0: that's a better vowel to throw in there I thought yeah, <laughs>
13: you know what, it's not bad. I'm going to use that on the resume
0: now. You're a winker and an nodder. Listen, Mark, congratulations. You've had just an extraordinary run. Now, you're back to the scene of the crime. I think you made your debut doing some sort of rant campaign for Memorial University, and here you are all these years later. You've been in some incredible roles. Terry Sawchuck for me, number one. Love goalie. But here you are as a director. Now you're going to get to see your debut on the big screen at the Avalon Mall Cineplex beginning today with The Righteous. Tell us about the film.
13: The film is a psychological thriller, um, about a man who's burdened uh and by uh something he's done in his past and he's sort of facing the vengeance the venge- vengefulness of a of a wrathful god. So it sounds pretty like it's the it's the rom com, it sounds like it is. So, um we want to we'll have a laugh. <laughs> no, it's It's a heavy movie, but I wanted to make something the kind of movies I like to see. I love thrillers. I love not knowing what's going to happen around the corner and and how the characters are going to play out and who's going to do who to what. Like, I love that mystery and that suspense. So I really want to make something like that that also doesn't get into too much gore and violence because I, I don't love that either. So... It was. It's the kind of movie I'd like to go see, and I think it says a whole lot about a lot of different things. We'll also keep you on the edge of your seat.
0: A lot of people, if you don't recognize Mark and some of his achievements on the big screen and the small screen, you might know him as Dead, say, from a Republican door, just to set the stage for people who might want to try to connect some dots here. Many actors would love to spend some time on the other side of the camera to be a director. Was it what you thought it would be? You know what? It it, it, it was
13: in, a, in the best ways possible because... You know, when I did Doyle, it, it changed my life, and a lot of that had to do with the relationships and, and the crew that I worked with here in Newfoundland, so it was really important for me to come back home and make a movie, and that meant the world to me to work with those people and to be home, be around my family, and, you know, and have everyone here and that support system, and, and just really to have a good time. And the thing I I enjoyed the most about directing was just the joy of it, right? And a lot of that had to do with the people where we were, and... And I loved every moment of it, and like, it's something I'll always cherish, and, and directing is really you're kind of just leading the charge a little, but when you're leading the charge with so many people you've known such a long time, it becomes that much easier and that much more of an enjoyment.
0: There'll be a lot of responsibility on your shoulders as an actor, to pull off the performance, you know, to have some cohesion and chemistry with your, your fellow performers. Did you feel an additional layer of weight and responsibility as a director?
13: you certainly do because y- you know you are leading the charge like i can't really i can't really forget my lines you know what i mean i wrote the thing that would look pretty bad um so you you know you just really got to be on your toes and make sure that you're telling the story in the right way and you're keeping everyone inspired and that's really important for me is like i'm so inspired by this business i love making movies i love making tv i feel lucky and privileged to do it so I want to bring that joy to it when I'm making it. And I got to tell you, man, like when you're making something and everyone's having a good time, you're going to have a better product in the end anyway. That goes for anything, but certainly in film. So you feel that responsibility, but it's something I really embrace.
0: And just to give people an idea, The Righteous has been seen by especially the uh, Canadian Screen Awards this year, the 10th Annual, and there was a nomination for Best Original Screenplay, so it's got a lot of uh, horsepower before it even makes it to the screen, so congratulations on that, Mark. Uh, So, also tonight, when it makes its way to the theatre, you have one of your buddies in tow, Tom Power for a little Q&A.
13: Oh, yeah. Tom is one of my best friends. It's so funny, because I went on cue the other day with him, and he and I text every day, Uh, so... It's just, it's just funny when we do something official together, because we're always just joking and carrying on. So, Tom, being the sweetheart, I'll tell you something else Tom did. This movie premiered in Montreal at the Fantasia Film Festival, which is a very big genre film festival for like thrillers and horrors and stuff. And, uh, and so it was in Montreal, and Tom came from Toronto just to come support me, it had nothing to do with interviewing or anything, just wanted to come and hang out and, and be there for me. And it was so sweet. And, uh, and so tonight he's going to do the Q&A after the 7.05 p.m. screening tonight. So it's going to be great. It's going to be me and him yakking about the movie, and uh, he's the best man.
0: He's a lovely man and a huge talent. He's just fantastic at what he does. Yeah. I'll throw that out there. Uh, Mark, you know, talk a little bit about the scene here, because it's grown leaps and bounds over the years. Even when you made your appearance on the small and big screen here in this province, it's a big part of the economy now. It's not hobbies, and we're not talking about some small operations. We've got Disney coming to town. we got your film. We got the hawks to take the shots of the world. It's a bigger deal than people realize.
14: It, you're,
13: you're exactly right, and I've seen a change over the years. My first, the first things I did here in Newfoundland was in 2005, and there was probably, I could be corrected here from some of the crowd in town. They might tell, but I would say we had about one and a half crew like one full crew and maybe enough for almost another one for another production at the same time and now i don't even know it might be up to four or five because when we shot the righteous like hudson and rex was shooting there were several other things going at the same time and we were not put out at all like everyone's a pro and one thing that doyle did very well public doyle really trained a lot of people like yeah. it, it got so many people into the business and it's so funny because you know we we aren't a giant place well, we have a giant interest in, in the arts here, and that's the thing. And one thing about, you know, I work in L.A. and, and Chicago and New York a lot, and, and I will say those are great crews and great people, but Newfoundlanders just pushed through. Like, that's what I noticed the differences with the crews and with sustaining an industry here. And, you know, like, you know, Paul Pope, rest in peace, yeah. what, what he was able to do, like, it's amazing. And I think it's just a push through of people who just love it. Like, a lot of people just love the arts here. So you can't stop us. And I think that that's shown over the years in leaps and bounds, and I've watched it change. And, and that's what, one of the reasons I want to come home.
0: And guys like Pope are a big reason why we are where we are here in the industry in this province. Boy, it's such a sad loss. Uh, just a tip yeah. around some of the other uh, things that you've worked on. So whether it be Halt and Catch Fire, which I thought was a really cool series, City on a Hill, what else you got in the hopper?
13: So I just did a show for AMC, which Halton Catch Fire was AMC, so went back with those guys. They're a great company. They, uh, I just did a show called 61st Street that just finished airing, and now it's streaming on the AMC Plus um, app, like on your Apple TV. And uh, I'm really proud of that show. It's, it's, uh, you know, has to deal with the Chicago justice system and race relations and a lot of topical issues and sort of a crime thriller legal drama, courtroom drama. And so season two, we already shot, is coming out next year. And right now I'm shooting uh, season two of uh, Perry Mason for HBO, which I was a huge fan of the first season, so it's really cool to be a part of that.
0: It's all very cool, man. We're all quite proud of you and pleased for your successes. So you can go see The Righteous, Mark O'Brien's directorial debut at The Mile, four shows, 2 o'clock, 4.45, 7.05, and 9.40 this evening. And, of course, the Q&A with the great Tom Power, who I share a birthday with, as a matter of fact. Mark, uh hearty congratulations to you. Anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye?
13: no just thanks for having me man I'm I'm really proud to have, to have got to make the film here and I really think it would be great if people came out and saw it because it's something a little different and it, and it will challenge you in an entertaining way and that's what I look for in movies that's why I got into movies and I, I look for things that kind of stood out from the crowd a little bit and, and a little bit bigger than those huge blockbusters and and that's really what I was going for something to, to kind of grab you and won't let go and uh, I just love for people to see it so thanks for having me on man
0: happy to have you on now you've been on open line talk about a career trajectory man <laughs> good to have you on mark good luck sir thanks man take care man bye-bye care. it's mark o'brien he's a beauty let's take a break don't go away welcome back to the show let's go to line number three sean you're on the air
14: hey patrick great show you have got there this morning thanks i'm um, listening to mark there you know it's amazing when you put your head down into the wind and you go you know a lot of newfoundlanders have done that and they can reach any heights in the world we want you know and there's there's another case in point whether it's Mr. Power doing the CBC Morning Every Morning, uh, and it's uh, Mark O'Brien and so many more. It just amazes me, but I'm not surprised. You know, we've done this in in all kinds of different uh, work environments, and uh, Mr. O'Brien's no different, so my congratulations to him.
0: Listen, we punch above our weight in the arts world. I mean, it's just unbelievable.
14: No question. So, look, let's punch above our weight in something else this morning because it really disturbs me when Marine Atlantic does what they're doing um, I, I concur totally with the drivers, but also we have others, you know. Like like we have passengers that are getting aboard those, those ships, and they're going to be driving long distances when they get to where they're going. There, there's no rules or regulations on them, and yet uh, they could be a danger to the public. And the reason I'm bringing that up is Marine Atlantic made a decision yesterday to start carrying pets in the cabins. Now, on the face of it, it sounds like a wonderful idea if it's your cabin, just like it's your house and you own it. And nobody else is going to be sleeping in there. But a few hours after that pet, it could be a bird, a gerbil, a dog, a cat—who knows? Uh, there, there are others that are going to go in 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 cabins on board the ship. May not be those exact ones, but you know, if they get over, well, like overwhelmed, they may give away a cabin or two. Hotels have been known to do that on pet-free uh, uh, floors. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, you know, uh, the 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 allergy situation. Uh, among children, adults, all of you know, a lot, lot of different uh, areas in life. Uh, it's so serious that you do not want to end up with an anaphylaxis or a serious situation in the middle of the Gulf. You just can't deal with that as a Marine Atlantic. You know, they don't have an emergency hospital ward on board to deal with it. And my concern is now for people who are going to be on that ship and they can't just turn the ship around by the time you get a Hercules or some kind of a flight out there. Uh, from Gander to try and rescue someone and get them off there. I mean, it's just not going to be time enough. Once you get into an allergy, serious anaphylaxis, you have probably half hour at best to deal with it. And even if you have your, your EpiPen, you know you still need to get to a hospital or an emergency ward. And, I, I, and case in point, Jan Arden was put off a train, via rail train, in Whitby, Ontario, on her way to a concert in Ottawa a few years back, because she was told not to bring her pet in the cabin with her. It had to go back into the kennel car with all the other animals. And that's what Marine Atlantic has always done, and the reason they did that was because of the reason I'm talking about now. So well, I don't know what Mr. Mercer and all the people down at Marine Atlantic are thinking, but they're putting people's lives in danger for no reason. Another point is dogs bark if they sense other animals or things going on around them, they will be barking all night or can be, and then other people in cabins trying to get their rest so they drive the next day safely. They'll probably be awake half the night. So there's an awful lot of reasons why Marine Atlantic decided a long time ago, as as via Rail did not to put the pets in the cabins with, with with passengers, put them back in a safe kennel area. And I've seen it on board this Marine Atlantic, or uh, on these vessels, it works very well. So I think they have to deal with that and and, and renege on their offer.
0: I don't know, we we travel with them in the fuselage of the plane, which I also find a little bit uh, odd sometimes as well. Uh, Sean, I'm just gonna try to zip through a bunch of calls. Would you like to say anything yep. else quickly before I go?
14: Yeah, uh, on the plane thing, uh, you know that's another very serious issue at 35,000 feet you know you have no help up there there's been a lot of incidents that that aren't being reported uh but but like if pia rail does it and they continue to do it and they put off a, uh, a you know a major entertainer like like uh, like i just mentioned in the middle of her trip and let her go find a rental car and drive all the way to ottawa it's a very very serious thing so marine Lanny should take heed there and i appreciate the time thanks Thank
0: sean you. have a nice weekend okay bye-bye. okay bye-bye uh let's go to line number four gar you're on the air
15: Is that me? That's you. Oh, uh, yes, uh, Paddy, I must say you're a very good host. Uh, June the 3rd today now is the last day to register for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. That's my main reason for calling. Uh, Jean Charet is one of the candidates, as you know, and he was elected in 1984 and served in the cabinet for many years. In 1993, now, he was deputy prime minister, but if I recall correctly, he had to give up the chance to become prime minister to go to Quebec to argue Canada's case in the 1995 referendum. Uh, as you remember now, of course, uh, with many people working on it, uh, Canada survived the referendum. He became Premier of Quebec for nine years, 2003 to 2012. So. He is greatly qualified, you know, as leadership for the Conservative Party.
0: And you know, one thing about that car is because he did that role and performed that role in Quebec, yeah. it, you know, as opposed to helping him in some corners, it's also got him the tag as liberal. And he's been fighting that the entirety of this leadership race. And it's hard to overcome because with a country that has attached such whatever, even if it's misguided notions of what liberal versus conservative means, he's having to fight about that versus fight about policy, which is. Odd.
15: Yeah, that's a, yeah. He was Liberal Premier, and, and he was with with the federal PCs. I must say, you know. Oh yes, I know. And, and
0: so, Quebec liberalism is not what it is in any other province either.
15: Yeah, and uh, but anyway, uh, let me see. Now, there was a on Tuesday, May thirty first. There was a, a Zoom meeting for Atlantic Canada with John Chretien. And uh, I happened to turn on the computer, and Rodney MacDonald, the former premier of Nova Scotia, introduced him. So he spoke with, Jean Charest spoke with great clarity and great passion, no notes. So I thought it was really fantastic. He covered the Freedom Convoy. I'll skip that for now, for time. Uh, But he didn't miss a syllable in the whole time. So I I wanted to send a note to him, but I couldn't find it. But yesterday, now, I got a a letter from his wife. I, I guess it went out. To hundreds of people, of course, but I did have a reply button, so I did send the message to her. You know that I was really impressed with the Zoom meeting. So, just a reminder to all people: you know, if they want to register to support Jean Charest or whatever, it probably costs fifteen dollars. It's best to go to the website. The telephone is kind of slow. And uh, that's my main reason for calling. But uh, I would like to say that the Platinum Jubilee for the Queen yesterday was fantastic with the 70 warplanes spelling out the 70 in the sky. I thought that was tremendous, you know.
0: It was quite the visual, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, I do appreciate the time. I wish we had more. And if you don't have a membership, you can't vote for the eventual leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Thank you for this, Car.
15: Oh, yes, you're welcome, and good luck,
0: Paddy. Same to you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Let's go. Last word this morning goes to the PC member for Grand Falls, Windsor-Buckins. That's Chris Tibbs. i got the wrong button here. Good morning, Chris. You're on the air. Good
3: morning, Paddy. Thanks for having me. I'll get right into it here. Um, it. A little uh, little backstory, for your listeners. Uh, some time ago, uh, Ashley Molloy of Harbour Britain required some emergency medical attention. And unfortunately, the ER, which she could see from her house, was closed uh, unfortunately, Patty, this lady passed away, as we all know, uh, waiting for medical attention. Uh, Dr. Wendy House here in Grand Falls, Windsor, uh, very respected doctor, uh, said something along the lines of this seems to be the normal. And of course, Patty, she would know as one of the doctors on the ground, one of the great doctors we have here. Um, Paul Din asked um, uh, Dr. Hagee and Minister Haggy about it in the house. Of course, he went on to say, you know, it is difficult when you have professionals who are tired and frustrated and burnt out airing their views in public. Uh, Patty, I don't know why a physician has to be burnt out to advocate on behalf of their patients and air their views out in public. I wish more physicians would do it because we need them. Um, you know, this goes back to December even when, uh, when he left an entire room full of doctors feeling insulted um, out in the medical school and also dismissive about concerns raised by frontline paramedics who initially he initially refused to meet with. Uh, You know, we have many great doctors, uh, physicians here in the province. Um, We've just gone from last year one in five people not having a family doctor. Now we have one in four people in the province not having a family doctor. Uh, The doctors across this province deserve to be treated better than that. I asked for an apology from Minister Hagee to Dr. House this past week, uh, and unfortunately it wasn't given. Um, And I talked to Dr. House this morning. If Minister Hagee feels as though he shouldn't apologize, which I think he should, um, he at least should have called Dr. House to explain himself, and that wasn't done either, Paddy. The doctors in the province deserve to be treated better than that, and how long are we going to let this go on?
0: Look, we should have uh, distinct respect for what's going on. Look, I don't know the intentions of Dr. Hagee, uh, Minister Haggy, I don't know. I only heard the uh, report on it. Uh, at the same time, many doctors are telling me directly that they're feeling overwhelmed and burnt out, but we shouldn't have to characterize how they think and feel if they're talking about what's actually happening, what they see, what they know. So I think it's probably we're all well advised to take some of those descriptors out of talking about what is a dire situation for are too many people in the province.
3: Yeah, and I agree with you, Patty. You know, they don't need to be burnt out to air their views. You can't make that assumption about, uh, about about some of these doctors. You know, now, Patty, I can appreciate the challenges of recruiting and retaining doctors. But when all you have to do is acknowledge that you may have insulted one of our doctors, one of our best and brightest, do the right thing and apologize for it. And and, and you know, it's something that, that Dr. Haggie should do, in my opinion. And and and. The, the doctor seat across the province. And I'll leave you with this, Patty. Uh, Dr. Wendy House here, she is a strong, young female doctor, respected by her peers and her patients throughout central Newfoundland and Labrador. We need these doctors. So, Dr. Haggy, do the right thing and apologize to this
0: young doctor, please. I appreciate the time, Chris. You've had the last word. Have a good weekend, Patty. Same to you. Bye-bye. So long. Uh, it's Chris Tibbs. He's the PC member for Grand Falls, Windsor, Buckins. Whew. Big thanks for everyone who supports the program, and we will indeed pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCN and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. We'll talk Monday. Bye-bye.